There's something to look forward to, a colostomy bag. I said to Rupert, do they come in different colours, do you think? Friday morning, hello, good morning. Yeah, well, nobody cares. I'm not, I'm not I'm really bothered about the state of your health this morning. I'm, I'm more worried about the state of my health. But, I mean, if I sat here and bored the pants off you, which I have been able to do in the past, you know, but discussing people's medical problems, you'd all been falling off the end of a cliff, making, make it go away, make him stop. The, the most amazing picture in the papers this morning is of Jimmy Savile, who had the keys to Broadmoor, who had keys to Broadmoor, introducing Frank Bruno to the Yorkshire Ripper. Frank Bruno meets... The, Hello, how many of you murdered today? Oh, very pleased to meet you. You know, you think, good God in heaven. I mean, it just goes on. Now John Peel's name has been dragged in. I'm trying to think how many other more dead celebrities we've got that we can dig up and people can say things about them. Because the one thing that runs all the way through all these allegations is you can't prove diddly squat. People can say this happened. And as my, my neighbour was saying to me the other day, she said... The trouble is, she said, by the law of, you know, by the law of averages, a lot of these people coming out saying something happened will be fantasists. There'll be people for whom, you know, this never happened at all. They're not, at most, most people will not be genuine. So say out of the 120 people who've made allegations against Jimmy Savile, because they might or might not have bumped into him some years ago at a garden fete, uh, a good 90% will be just made up. They'll just be people, they'll be attention seekers. They'll be, for some reason, don't ask me why, there will be people out there who, who want to be involved with this kind of thing. Not, not because they want any compensation, it's because they're, they generally have one or two screws loose and they sort of fantasise and they build the fantasy up in their mind and then they, they decide, because they know damn well you can't prove anything. You know, you can say you were in Stoke Mandeville or say you were in Broadmoor or say here and say you were interfered with. There's no evidence to suggest that. He might have been there at the time, and he might or might not. I'm not even worried about the might or might nots anymore, I'm afraid. But you, you just don't know, do you? So somebody can say, oh, th- this happened to me. We don't know. Where is the proof? Well, I've, I've told you. Well, that doesn't mean anything. So there's going to be a lot of people who, for the purposes of this programme, tell blatant lies. They just tell lies. I don't know why they do. People, you know, you've seen people... St- I've, I've been on jury service. People stand there and tell lies. In a court of law, people stand there and swear on the Bible, they swear on the Koran, and they stand there and blatantly tell lies. So why they wouldn't tell lies about a dead celebrity, I've got no idea. They just do. But it's a very odd photograph. I mean, it really is a very, very odd photograph. Mind you, most of the pictures in the paper today are odd photographs. There's, um... They've actually managed to... I mean, quite clearly, a load of people who knew Jimmy Savile have now got photographs which they're either selling to the papers or giving to the papers. And so they've got his, uh, now his driver of this, uh, this Winnebago-type vehicle that he had, Savile's Vile Sex Wagon. The Shame Stars driver tells all... They're all coming out of the woodwork, aren't they? It'll be the cleaner twice removed. He'll be the next one telling stories about how she used to find this and that. And, and every time I open up the newspapers, there is another, another person who's willing to sell their story. And I should imagine the Sunday papers are going to be full of it this week. Absolutely full of it. How many you can prove, I don't know. How many people slept with celebrities throughout the 60s and 70s? I should imagine you could probably fill a, a, a room the size of the British Library with their exploits. Because that's what people did, surprisingly. Back in the 70s, the naughty 70s, the naughty 80s, it was bed-hopping. The casting couch was alive and well. I can tell you, it was absolutely active across everything. Across everything. Showbiz, you know, the city... Drugs were rife in the city. The cu- How many times have you seen people who used to work in the city going to court and claiming harassment? You know, this boss touched me inappropriately. That was going rife through show business. Rife. Anybody would tell you. I should imagine I could probably ask a lot of people 
you know, who've been in the business a while, who do you think were all the people who were doing the bed hopping with the girls? And they could probably reel off a list of names. Reel off a list, a list of names. Not difficult. Mind you, I mean, I was going through the papers this morning and uh, I was trying to find stories that sort of would, would either amuse me I can't find anything that's amused me this morning. There's been a few stories where I've, you know, got me hackles up a little bit. There's a lovely picture of Colleen. Ha <laughs> ha uh, The chipmunk girl wearing another one of her naff outfits going off to model for Littlewood's catalogue. I mean, it makes me laugh, actually. She's, only fa- she's not famous because she's attractive. She's famous because she's, uh, she's married to that balding bloke, Shrek. Uh, who the, the pa- I'm sorry to say it, but the hair transplant has not worked. And, in fact, if you look at pictures in the papers, it's falling out. I mean, I think it was copy-dexed on. I think what they actually did, they got a little bit of copy-dex. They, they've been round to the Blue Peter studio. They take it a little bit, because they don't call it copy-dex there. They just call it glue, don't they, or something like that. What did they call it? I can't, there was a name they had for it. I think, but Blue Peter were never allowed to say, this is a cornflakes packet, or this is a, this is a fairy liquid bottle. They had to pretend. Sticky-back plastic. And we all knew it was Fablon. It was Fablon, OK? And the little, and the little sort of fairy liquid bottle was fairy liquid. Okay, fairy liquid, and it was a cornflakes packet that they were using. But of course, being being Blue Peter, they actually thought that it, it made it look as though it was product placement, and that somebody had paid them from cornflakes, so they didn't say it. And yet, blatantly, every other program they were saying things. I see no reason why Blue Peter should be immune from it. Although now Blue Peter's taken a turn for the worst. It's got two presenters who couldn't give a stuff about the show. The, the studio is the size of a postage stamp, and it's just not the program it was. Not the programme it was when Biddy Baxter was there. Not the programme it was when Biddy ruled with a rod of iron and she got the best programme. And, the, and, the, and it, was, it was considered a really big deal. The next Blue Peter presenter's going to be. And then they announced him and then you met them. And then one of them got pregnant. And then they decided to weave that into the programme. They had to have pets because we didn't have pets. So their pets became our pets. I went round to the Blue Peter office. It was fascinating. It was fascinating. I, I went there to do an interview. I thought with Peter Duncan, but I didn't. I got the bloke who had the farm whose name I now can't remember. I think he works on radio, which is awful, isn't it, to say I can't remember somebody's name, but I can't... I can picture him. He was the bald bloke. His wife had a baby, and they filmed up at the farm a lot at Dethick, I think. And um, it, was, it was good. It was good, Blue Peter. The, the, the thing that you noticed there was they had lots of different models. So, in other words, for each finished model, there would be about six before that, so they could say, you do this, this, and then it looks like that, and they take out the one that had been done earlier by this woman who made all the models for them. And it was, it was good. Now they've shoved it up to Manchester... And it's Barney and some bird with a foreign accent. I don't know, she's northern or something. I couldn't even get way a pet and this kind of stuff. I quite like Barney, but he's, he's looking a bit old. He's a bit old now. He wears baggy trousers. He must be, what, 50, 55, I would think, Barney Haywood. And he's actually going out with one of the girls who was another presenter on Children's BBC. No, he's not going out with Helen Skett. No, she, she's the girl on the programme. That's the one with the northern accent who sort of apparently kayaked over the North Pole. I don't know what she did. I can't remember. It's, no, not Zoe Salmon. No, it's, you, you won't know her. But in fact, it, but I mean, he, he's sort of, you know, I'm, I never quite got used to children's presenters with beards. You know, I kind of thought a little bit ancient, you know. Perhaps he thinks it looks, you know, and he's a very good musician and God knows he rams it down your throat. Then he, then he disappeared off to do pantomime, thus deserting the programme, which I thought was shameful. As far as I'm concerned, you're a Blue Peter presenter. You know, you stay doing Blue Peter. You know, until you're pushing up daisies. A bit like Valerie Singleton and all. I find it hard to believe that An- Anthea Turner was once a Blue Peter presenter. Oh, yuck. Anyway, oh, good news. Oh, some finally good news, ladies and gentlemen. Coronation Street barmaid Catherine Tildesley 
Catherine Tildesley fears that intimate uh, photographs that she sent to an ex-boyfriend could emerge online. Oh, thank God for that, love. I was so worried your career was over. But thankfully, you've sent porno pictures. Oh, bliss. Oh, joy. Well done. Well done to you. I was beginning to wonder whether or not you were going to be getting some publicity about how your hair fell out when you had your first boyfriend or how you survived anorexia or your dead grandmother came back and told you to take the part in Coronation Street. But no... Luckily, you sent pervy pictures of yourself to an ex-boyfriend. Oh, thank God for that. I'm so grateful that you finally got the publicity which you deserve, you stupid woman. You're supposed to be an actress. Who is remotely interested in intimate photographs? You sent to an ex-boyfriend. How desperate are you? How sad and lonely. Apparently, the actress, I don't think so, who plays Eva Price sent the snaps to a former lover while they were still together, but has now heard the pictures are doing the rounds. Oh, God, I'm looking at a picture of you now, love. I'd have had your nose done before you took pictures. You know, I'm not being rude about it, but cosmetic surgery certainly takes a, you know, at the top of the place of the Christmas list. You know, can I get my nose done? Can I improve my acting? Yes to both counts. But thank God for that. Thank God for you. I mean, I've just blessed the day that you were born and blessed the day that you took... Intimate pictures of yourself. For that, read porno, ladies and gentlemen. Don't don't buy into the idea of intimate pictures. There'll be nudie snaps. OK, so she sent them. And apparently, a friend says she's very, very annoyed. Very, very unhappy. Yeah, I bet she is. She's thrilled to pieces. You know, as I say, people send pictures of themselves. If I sent pictures of myself naked to anybody in this building, then at some point, I would be expecting somebody to start passing them around the office and have a good old laugh. You know, if you're an actress, an uh, actress, you know, and you've been through the radar or whatever it happens to be, and you take nude pictures of yourself, I mean, how stupid are you? You must be the thickest person under the sun. Nobody, if you're going into the public eye, you're going to be in show business and the media, takes nudie pictures of themselves and then sends them to somebody. She says it's very, very upsetting and disappointing, and it looks as though somebody is threatening to betray her trust. Well, Dimbo, you shouldn't have taken them in the first place, should you? How dumb are you? There's nothing she can do apart from cross her fingers and hope for the best. Shame you didn't cross your legs, love. Might have made it a lot easier, mightn't it? How stupid are these people? I mean, you, you just beggar's belief, mainly because we don't know who she is. You know, she's an actress and she's in Coronation Street, but she's nowhere near top of the pile. I mean, she's down there with the cat in the opening credits. And so you take nudie pictures and you send them to an ex-lover. And then you go, oh, I hope they don't get out to the public domain. Looking at you, darling, I hope they don't as well. For your sake. No point in us, you know, everybody laughing at you. Not for your acting abilities, but taking your clothes off and sending pictures to an ex-lover. I mean, I've had some ex... Oh, I haven't. Anyway, you know, if I'd had some ex-lovers and taken nudie pictures of me, I wouldn't be sending them out. I mean, that'd be the last thing you'd be doing. But apparently, she, she, she's been on a couple of dates. She says, when I'm out, I never get approached unless it's by some drunken idiot. Well, it's now going to be some drunken pervert, isn't it? But if you send naughty pictures out of yourself, then, um, you know, more fool you, I'm afraid. I'm so sorry, but thank God you found somebody to resurrect your career. Because up until now, we were slightly worried that you didn't actually have a story to tell. But it gets better. We found somebody else in the papers who's got an even better story than sending nudie pictures of themselves. Quarter past four. This is LBC 90... And the producer just said, have you never sent nudie snaps of yourself? I I'm so speechless. I couldn't actually think of any answer apart from, don't be ridiculous. Never said... I've never, ever taken new... Okay, let's recant on that one. Let's just go back a little bit. When they brought out Polaroid cameras, 
some years ago. Polaroid cameras were sort of, you could take an instant picture of yourself and then you held it up and it developed before your very eyes. And I bought quite a number of Polaroid. In fact, on LBC, we actually previewed a number of the instant picture cameras. And some of them were sort of big square pictures. And it was quite interesting because I've actually still got some of them in my scrapbook. I used to keep a scrapbook up until about 10 years ago. And I had lots of these big snaps in there. And I have to be honest, I did take a nudie picture of myself, but without the face. So it couldn't be identified later. And I thought the thing will just fade over time, a bit like the body, or I wish. And uh, so that was the only time. But everybody did it with an instant camera. I used to love my instant Polaroid camera. It just seems it was, it was, you could probably still buy the things. Probably still buy them, and they probably improved vastly. But in the early days, it was just, it was old black and white. Then they did colour. And to watch the picture developing, I thought, blooming clever. It was really clever. So having found stories in the papers today to make you go, ooh, here she is, the X Factor sensation. And her her name is uh, Ella Henderson. And apparently, you know, they've all got to have a story. Everybody's got to have a story. And luckily for Ella... Her granddad died. I mean, it's a gift from heaven, ladies and gentlemen, or a gift from the gods. She's a a singing sensation, and apparently my biggest regret is I never went to his funeral, but my granddad inspired me to sing. Oh, thank you. Isn't that so touching and so dumb? You know, it really is. I mean, thank God for dead relatives, because without dead relatives, you've had no stories in the papers whatsoever. It only makes the Peter Kay version of the... uh, of the extra factor seem more realistic where they sort of somebody gets voted off and they go you've had an accident you're in a wheelchair you're back in come on back in again and so your grandmother's just died hurrah you can go back in and you can sing for your grandma in her case my granddad inspired me to sing my biggest regret is i never went to his funeral yeah but at least you can share it with the rest of the country who to be quite honest with you ella couldn't give us stuff love we really couldn't give us stuff you can either sing or you can't sing you know, it's it's a good bit of publicity and it's quite sweet and I'm sure it's very personal to you. But the moment you start selling stories about people in your family and your life is the moment you guarantee no anonymity. It's the moment that you might as well just take all your kit off and pose for Playboy because you've gone as far down the U-bend as you possibly can. There's nothing else left to sell. You know, and I'd, it's just, nobody's interested. We're really, can you sing, can you not sing? I don't, you know, I didn't sort of, you know, ask Julie Andrews, well, you know, when your mother died, how did you feel about that? You know, would that inspire your singing? You don't talk about, you know, you don't talk to uh, any of these people about, you know, you know what, what, how many of their family members died and how many lived, because it's of no interest to people. As unfortunately in the pa- case of poor old Cheryl Cole, or Cheryl, or shh, as she's called, and uh, she went out again the other night with Trey, and they went out to another Mayfair restaurant. My God, I tell you, Mayfair restaurants let any old things in nowadays, won't they? I'm certainly not going out to these places. But nice to know that Trey, as a dancer on no money at all, can afford to dress. So either his mummy's helping him out or she's having to pay for him, which makes him a little bit like a gigolo, because dancers on a hundred quid a show, they're not worth it. He couldn't afford to go out to restaurants. He'd be a McDonald's and a packet of chips bloke. But he's having to go out there, mainly she'd be actually a kebab and a packet of chips. Taking her out to posh restaurants is like, you know, the wrong thing for her. She shouldn't be going out to these places. It's not for her. It's not for her, it's for posh people. You know, you go to a Mayfair restaurant, what the dickens have actually got somebody like Cheryl Cole there for? I've got no idea. And um, she hit Mayfair and she went out after filming Chatty Man. I mean, she's when, when she goes out now, considering that she's only a young girl, she's only, I don't know, 24, 25 or something like that, she dresses like an old woman. Her, 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 her fashion is, she doesn't have a coat, because if you notice nowadays, girls from up north don't actually have coats. 
They don't, they don't possess them. I saw some walking down Piccadilly Circus this morning. They don't have coats on. You know, it's cold out there, but nobody's got a coat on. And Cheryl's exactly the same. She's out with little Trey, who can't believe his luck. All he's got to do is bed an old has-been singer, and he gets in every single newspaper. But he's just a dancer. And for that read, it's a career going nowhere. He's a dancer. You know, 100 quid uh, for a show, and that'll be just about it. But the funniest story in the paper, the funniest story, was they dragged up that old Harridan, Jodie Harsh. Marsh, sorry. And uh, the poor old thing, who's well past her sell-by about 1,500 years ago, has been making demands on somebody who I think is on X Factor. And apparently uh, she took a shine to this burly Middlesbrough lad, who frankly looks a bit gay to me, and, uh, and she's been messaging him via FaceTime. Shy James, also a fan of tattoos, oh, he's definitely gay then, uh, apparently has been trying to keep his secret admirer quiet from other filers. I'm not at all surprised, James. Listen, she rates zero. She rates zero. Don't ever... I mean, this is the worst publicity that you ever could have had, that Jodie Marsh is FaceTiming you. I'd give up now, mate. You might as well quit the competition because your reputation has gone straight out, straight out to sea. Nobody, she's an old has-been, mate. You don't want to hang around with Jodie. She's bad news. She's real bad news. I mean, she is... Ugh, ugh. I mean, just no two ways about it. She's ancient as well. I mean, he's only young. But uh, but she's like, what is she, 100, 103? Difficult to tell, looking at her. The face looks like she's about 110. But apparently he'd also snogged a glamour girl before. Well, that's one... Th- Unfortunately, Jodie Marsh isn't glamour. It's rough. I mean, I don't want to be rude about her, but that's what she's always sold throughout her entire cheap, tatty career. She sells trash. She sells going out to a nightclub wearing nothing apart from a belt which doubles as a bra. That's trash. That's not class. That's just disgusting. The sort of person you wouldn't want to take home in case somebody went, what the hell have you brought back here? What has the cat dragged in? Answer, Jodie Marsh. I mean, really, just disgusting. So, I mean, my advice is, James, I mean, I I can only offer the same advice as the rest of the country would, steer well clear. She's she's after publicity. That that's what she does. She's she's a little bit of a desperado. You feel, I mean you feel a bit sorry for her. She can't keep friends. She can't keep boyfriends because people suddenly realize that she's out for all she can get and she's had her day. She had a day about 15 years ago, so avoid like the plague. Somebody else to avoid like the plague. And it grieves me to mention the only wears Essex this early on in the proceedings. Because we do love looking at the, at the delights of Sam Faiers, the one with the little, little piggy eyes, and her little camp boyfriend, Josephine Essex, and his deeply unattractive sister, another Josephine Essex. And then Sam Faiers has got a sister as well, but they're businesswomen. And then Lauren Goodyear, who's that fat old bird in the dress that doesn't fit. And she's got her own fake tan. She's like, you know, big star. And Lydia Dim. Who, if anything, you know, yesterday, as we said on the programme, I don't know what she was wearing, but I hope to God she didn't sell it in her boutique, because this place is going to close faster than a restaurant in Twickenham. It's the only way forward, I have to tell you. But guess who is trying to make a comeback into the Only Wears Essex? I only go by what the papers tell me. I don't know this for a fact. But apparently, little gay boy Harry Durbridge. Now, you remember Harry Durbridge is Amy Charles's cousin. And, well, he can't get he can't, he can't get anything. I mean, nobody's interested. There is no work for an effeminate, unattractive little gay boy out there in Essex. I mean, there's nothing for him to do. It's bad enough with that, um, that Bobby creature in The Only Way is Essex, who's a bit of a Gokwan lookalike, but is just naff. And apparently little Harry Durbridge has found it. He's, he's failed to find regular TV work. 
Well, of course, because he's got no, no talent. He has no talent whatsoever. I mean, if you want, you know, an effeminate little gay boy, go down Old Compton Street. There's millions. You don't, he's got nothing. He can offer nothing at all. Nothing at all. He has no talent. He's, he's not good looking. He's just, just bad representation, I'm afraid. But, uh, but he has been saying that he'd love to go back to The Only Way is Essex. Of course he would. He hasn't got any other work. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know what he did before he went into the show. Did he actually have a job? Has he ever had a job? Was it, did he go in at 15? Oh, God. Well, how old is he now? Is it, they just... It, they don't say how old he is. I mean, he could be anywhere between 50 and death, I suppose. But he said that he, he'll even go back and he, he, he thinks that he could go out with, with Bobby in the series. They could be the next big Towie couple. What, two Marys together? I don't think so. That wouldn't make a very good relationship, would it? You don't want two FMs. Not in the same show. And also, Bobby is just... He's hanging around with Gemma Collins, but then she looks the type to hang around with gay boys. And Harry Durbridge, I mean, just... I'm sorry, mate, it's finished. You know, you had your opportunity. You had that golden opportunity. Well, you didn't, really, but everybody else has. And and he just turned 18. Apparently he has a shop, I believe. Selling... Selling what? Selling what? I can't believe... But apparently he has a shop. And he's been telling people that he, he actually thinks that uh, that he could go back in and be Bobby's boyfriend. Bobby, of course, has issued a statement saying there is no way that we're dating. Well, of course not. If you're going to pick somebody, you're going to pick somebody butch. Do you want to go at some little queen like that, do you? And uh, a show spokesman said there are no plans for Harry to return to the only way Essex. Thank God for that. I mean, that's going backwards. I mean, we know they've been backwards in some places, but definitely not. So, Harry, the only way is, why don't you go to the job centre? Why don't you try and find a job? Why don't you try and find something you can do? And, uh, and forget that you've ever been loosely in the world of showbiz. Because it's, it's just not happening. There is nothing for you out there. You can't juggle. You're just, you're just a drip. You know, you turned up at all these little parties where all the girls were, you know, the only gay in the village. And there you were sitting there looking like the biggest turkey in the shop, I'm afraid. And it wasn't happening. You didn't make the best of it. You just... Just a little effeminate queen from Essex. And it was, there was nothing. I wasn't even sure where it was going to go. It's bad enough for poor little Bobby, who's the biggest drip under the sun. Another one who's got more issues than you could shake a stick at. And you think, but where do you think this is going? You know, you're given an opportunity on television. That's why all these poor girls, they know that they don't have the looks or the talent or the intelligence to do anything. So they open tanning centres, open little boutiques. Because all you've got to do to open a boutique is you just sort of put some rails in, you get some clothes in, and people come in and buy them, and that's it. You don't have to know anything about fashion. You just, I mean, I, I could go out there, I could go to all the suppliers who I know in the East End, and I could pick up loads of women's clothing, and I could go and set up a market store without any experience, and that's all they've done. They have no experience. You could tell by the way they dress, they've got no experience of clothes. And they spend most of their time in and out of park. I mean, look at poor old Chloe Sims. What does she do? Answer, she doesn't do anything. She doesn't, do any- she doesn't have a job. She doesn't appear to do anything. She's apparently got a daughter who sees very little of her because she's either out in a nightclub or, or she's face down in the gutter. At her age, she's doing a bit of a Charlotte Church. A bit embarrassing. I don't know what to say about it. But Harry... Try and, try and find a job, love. Try and find something to do that sort of makes you more intelligent than you're appearing at the moment. They don't want you back in the programme. There is no way they're ever going to take you back in the programme. And if I had my way, I would clear out the entire cast at the moment because they've started believing the publicity. And the moment they start believing the publicity is the moment you're on a hiding to nothing. And that's why Lauren Goodyear was kind of sort of sidelined a little bit because Lauren just couldn't really be bothered to turn up for the filming. She was just so above it. And that's why Lauren's career is going to go straight down the swanee. Because she's A, not very pleasant, B, she can't speak properly, and C, she's desperately unattractive. 
I mean, three very good reasons. You know, try and try and do something when you're on the show and make something of yourself. Don't, you know, go with what they say all the time. Try and advise them and say, listen, I think my character would do this and that. As it is, you know, if Joey Essex and Sam Furrier is an item, I'll eat this studio. I think it's just done for the programme. The people are real, but the situations are set up. Of course they are. Of course they are. And you've got to look at poor Joe. He can't be that thick. Oh, God knows he can't be that thick. And I have a sneaking feeling. He's got a new car, has he? He had that little girly car before. Has he got something slightly bigger? He's got a Range Rover now. God, I bet he has a stepladder to get into that. Poor little soul. It's LBC 97.3. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. I'm in such a good mood as well, because it's 4.30. Morning, 28 minutes to five. Uh, Stuart recommends a film called Quartet, directed by Dustin Hoffman. I'm seeing it on Monday. I'm going to a private screening on Monday. I was going to be going today, but uh, we've had to rearrange my schedule because I've got so many things happening. And so I've got Neil Morrissey. We did David Mitchell yesterday. Such a polite man. Such a polite man. And from Peep Show. And then I've got... Um, who did I say? Who have I got today? Neil Morrissey. Today. And he's coming in. then on Monday, I've got Michelle Ryan, who's doing Cabaret with Will Young, and then I've got the screening of the Dustin Hoffman film, and then on Tuesday morning, good Lord, really, a day goes by, I've got Dustin Hoffman coming in for In Conversation, and then uh, next week we've got loads more people coming. We're, we're, sort of, we're just sort of getting as many people in as possible, because I don't want the situation whereby, because ev- everybody seems to be available at the same time. But uh, big recommendation, even Nick Ferrari said, he said you're going to love Quartet. It's got Maggie Smith, Michael Gambon and Billy Connolly in it. Uh, so Quartet is the film to look out for at the moment, which is good. Uh, Noreen, good morning. She says, uh, so glad you were better yesterday. I was in such a good mood yesterday. In fact, today I'm in even better mood because it's Friday. And I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't that I wasn't looking forward to going to see the film, but I thought it takes up quite a bit of my day. And I like to look on Friday as my, as the start of my weekend. So, so I, I do get a nice sort of rest period. But she says, please send... Poor Corinne, love from Brian and me. It's never ending. I know, poor old Corinne, honestly. She's had pneumonia now and it's gone on for such a long time, hasn't it? God, dear. Really is awful. I thought, you know, I mean, whatever I've got pales into insignificance. So we send lots of love to Corinne. She says, can you wish Carol a brilliant holiday from all her friends? Have a great weekend and try and rest a bit. I'm not good at resting. Resting doesn't kind of... Although yesterday I did go to bed late. Somebody said to me, go to bed late. And that because there's no point in going to bed at seven because you wake up after about four hours. So yesterday I fell asleep, I fell asleep in front of the television. Oh God! Watching a film called Battleship. I think it's called Battle. It's so good. It's a, it's made by the people who do Transformers. So it's like a Hasbro kind of film, and it's really good about these things from outer space. I thought it was really well done. I saw it on the plane going to Las Vegas, and then I went and bought it the other day. So I was I was very pleased I did. It's it's really good, though I'm not really into that kind of thing. But I liked. What was this other film I watched? It was about these creatures that came out and people were fighting them. There were lots of sort of smart-looking Americans fighting these huge creatures which were on big things, and there were thousands of them, and they came out of a hillside and... um, Not War of the Worlds, no, something a bit like that. But these creatures were were protecting a giant slug that was in the middle of the mountainside. Somebody will recognise it from that, which they drag out at the end. I can't remember who's... I don't think there was anybody in it, but they were all terribly good-looking, and everyone, nobody had facial hair or anything like that. They were all very young, and they were fighting this thing. They came in on little spaceships, and these things came out of nowhere, and these... these cre- and when, when you cut them, they oozed green gunge and stuff like that. It's called... Oh, what the dickens is it called? Oh, blimey. Somebody will know what it is from that description. I'm terrible at giving descriptions, but you're brilliant at telling me what the film is. So you'll know it. Lots of them came... They, they were like 
insects that came towards them with, with long mandibles and stuff. Ah, horrible, horrible, horrible things. But I love the movie. What was it called now? Uh, Gok is far better looking than that ugly Bobby in The Only Way is Essex, says Phil in Wolf. Oh, you're right. I mean, that, that creature, Bobby, in The Only Way is Essex, I thought was made up. I had no idea it actually exists. I mean, it's, I mean, him and Harry Durbridge together, dreadful representation of gay people, I'm afraid, doesn't exactly do anybody any favours. I don't know why people become like that. Very strange. Uh, 84850, Steve at LBC. Simon Groom. Thank you, Paul, was the man I interviewed from Blue Peter. Simon Groom. I wanted to do Peter Duncan, but Biddy Baxter wrote and said, I'm a big fan of Night Extra, because she used to listen to the programme overnight. And... Um, because it was never easy. I remember doing an interview with, with somebody once, and I'd come in during the daytime to do it, and she said, what time's it going out? I said, I'll probably put it out at about two in the morning. And she went, two in the morning? And I went, yeah. She went, well, who's going to be listening then? And I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really have an answer to it, because in those days we didn't particularly bother with the audience figures overnight, and yet I had some of the biggest audience figures on overnight radio, because there was nothing on the radio apart from, apart from LBC. It was the only thing that was offering, you know, a chance to actually hear a live voice talking about the newspapers and celebrities and a, a rerun of the day. And it was a really good programme, Night Extra, and Weekend Night Extra, which I did both of them. And so uh, when, when I, I wrote off to Blue Peter... I then got the reply back. She said Simon Groom. And um, the Coronation Street actress isn't the only one with nudie pictures. Step forward, little Justin Bieber. Apparently he's had some leaked on the internet after he and his manager apparently had their laptop nicked. Oh, dear. He said, read the Polaroid camera. Do you remember you had to be very careful? You didn't get the caustic soda jelly stuff. Oh, yes, it was in the little pouch at the end. They were, they were so clever cameras. So clever. So there's Justin Bieber pictures as well. Oh, little little Justin Bieber, is it? Oh, dear. Oh, it's not so exciting, is it, for him? A little bit like Mark Wright. Little Mark Wright, I think they, they call him, actually. Uh, on the subject of uh, the X Factor, um, Cheryl Cole says Dawn would probably be quite chuffed if she heard what you said about her. You were saying she's too young to have an autobiography, and anybody under 25 shouldn't be writing one. Cheryl's 29. Her autobiography is available on Amazon for seven quid. So not only Tesco's you can get from at that price. I don't like how the X Factor voting is done. It should all be down to the public vote. Instead of having the bottom two have a sing-off with the judges then deciding who goes through. Well, exactly, that's where the fiddling occurs. That's where the fiddling occurs. And that's why it should be exactly down to you, the public, that watch. You should be the people who actually... Starship Troopers. Yes, that was the first... Thank you. I knew you'd know. I knew you'd... It's such a good film. And thank you to uh, Callie-Anne, Paul and Peter as well. Sounds like a singing group. Ladies and gentlemen, Callie-Anne, Paul and Peter. Puff the magic dragon, live by the sea. Yes, it was Starship Troopers. It's a good... If you haven't seen it, get it. Really good film. Quite frightening at times, but everybody's good-looking. Every, it's, it's such a... It's a good-looking movie. Except for these horrible creatures. Anyway, so Dawn doesn't like, you know, she says, looking back over the published results over past years, there have been a few people that I've liked who've gone before they would have because the judges kept the one with the least votes. I enjoy watching The X Factor, would never vote because ultimately it isn't all down to the public. My favourite this year, Lucy Spragan. She's the girl who played guitar and sang her own song last Saturday. I have a feeling that she won't win because she's a bit quirky, stroke unique. Yeah, I like Kai, you see, because I know Kai's mum. And I know the rest of his family. So I have a vested interest. A vested interest. Uh, what was I going to tell you? I was going to tell you something else. I'm trying to get through as many of your texts and emails this morning as I possibly can. And uh, one hit, Starship Troopers. 
1997. Look at you. Do you know, I only have to mention something. And me, look at all of you. It's got a young Denise Richards in it. Modern day sci-fi classic. Same director as Robocop, says James in Fulham. Martin's on the M4. You're probably parked up, are you, I should imagine? Shane's in Harrow. And uh, Andre says, it's Starship Troopers. You all, look at every, look, Morel, Stephen, uh, um, one here, Starship Troopers, uh, Carlos, Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers, Starship Troopers, Starship Troopers. Everybody knows that Starship Troopers, except silly old Steve Allen, who didn't have the faintest idea. 84850, Steve, at lbc.co.uk. Apparently, Harry Durbridge has a main role in the new Ray Winston gangster film. Yeah, right. What, he's playing Butch? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh I love it when Steve Allen talks about The Only Wears Essex. Yeah, me too as well, actually. And uh, Morel says you're on top form this morning. Uh, the so-called X-Factor singers are staying in Whitehall Place. Louis Walsh should be sacked, says Jason, Mr Daily Bread. Morning to uh, Nora Little Julie. Yes, I, mean, I think Louis's run is, is coarse, don't you? I don't get the impression that he's hard or tough or caustic or bitter or twisted. They, they put him out there and go, he's hard-hitting. He never is. He's never said anything that is remotely... He just repeats the same phrases all the time. Uh, Somebody says, have you got the Cheryl Cole book yet? Seven quid on uh, Amazon. Should be a pound very shortly in in Poundland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve, women up north can't afford coats. (laughs) Um, uh, John in Camden. He says, says, "Don't, don't forget... Louis Liberace's bonds, that's uh, Louis Walsh, and uh, the Rooney, the shredded wheat transplant. It's, it's jab, I mean, uh, to be honest, I've looked at um, Wayne Rooney's hair, and it does look as though it's falling out. I mean, I, I, mean I, I don't want to worry Colleen, but when she wakes up and finds that there's more of his hair on the pillow than there is on the top of his head, she should start panicking. Because I think that having worked out that he had the hair transplant and released the pictures the moment they then decided to have one of their bonk fests at home. You could just imagine, God, I'm sorry, that's what it is, because, you know, it's a case of, uh, you know, she'd be standing there with a packet of chips in her hand, you know, and he'd be going, uh, you're pret. And she'd be going, yeah, and, uh, and that'd be it. They'd just sort of wander up the stairs together, and she'd be dropping chips all the way up the, uh, the cheap carpet. And uh, they, on a very expensive carpet, because they've got loads of money but no class. We've seen the family on television. I remember the very first interview they did with Wayne Rooney, on the television, and they cut to his family who was sitting there, and the and the grandfather's got a fag on in the sitting room, and they're filming, and he goes, bugger me, he said, are we on telly yet? And <laughs> I nearly fell off the settee, I thought, oh my God, the family swear. And then, look, they are ultimate chavs. She's, he actually met her outside the chip shop. He met her outside the chip shop. It was a good place to meet her. But uh, she's not a model, she's not a trade, but she appeals to people who buy the Littlewoods catalogue to order their, their clothes by paying threepence a week you know, over 1,500 years. And, and so you, you, you buy stuff like that, and you go, oh, I can get all these fashionable outfits. What you don't know is, when you look at the pictures, if you go round the back of the model, they're all held together with clothes pegs. So it makes it look as though they actually fit them. I know, because I've been on some of these shoots before, and they actually put clothes pegs on the back of people. In fact, I had it when I had my, my photo shoot done. For LBC. Then we had the, the posh one, where I looked, I looked all sexy. I don't remember that one. No, I don't remember that one either. But there was one where I, I looked quite quite good and I had a jacket on and I was pinned at the back to make the jacket look as though it fitted proper. <laughs> a dreadful thing. I was, I, was, I was a bit hurt by that. A bit hurt, but, uh, but it was quite nice. Quite nice. I liked the pictures. They actually came out quite well. It's very rare that pictures come out well, I'm afraid, on LBC. And uh, Dorman Dom, he says, I found you. I'm now following you so I can listen and tweet. Good. Uh, uh, 
Dave in Bermondsey. Oh, I mate. Morning, Treacle, he says. Good to have you back. Hope you do a full week next week. Don't start. Don't start. I said, listen, I can't, I've, I've discovered, as I get, you know, towards my 40s, I start becoming a little bit iller. And so I'm deter- when I got in yesterday, and I did... T- oh, I started telling you, I fall- fell asleep in front of the television watching um, Battleship, which was good. And this other film, and I can't remember what it's called. I think it's All Good Men, or For All the Men, or something. It's about a load of people in a hospital, and they're being looked after by a German doctor. And they used to lose a lot of people with back injuries, and now they don't because of him. And uh, John Warrington sent it to me, and it's very good. I don't know if you can remember the title of the blooming thing, but no doubt you'll know the title of it straight away. And um, and so I fell asleep, and I woke up at nine o'clock. And so I, I climbed into bed, and I was out straight away, because it takes nothing to get me to sleep. I could sleep anywhere. I could sleep on planes. I could sleep here on the floor. It wouldn't take anything to get me to go to sleep. I've done it before. I've fallen asleep on the floor before. And, uh, and that, 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 that's quite nice. And so I, uh, I fell asleep. Then I climbed into bed and I was out for the cats. So when the alarm went off, I felt like I'd had a really, really good night's sleep. Martine says you should get the director of Starship Troopers, Peter Van Hoven, into an in-conversation if he's still alive. <laughs> I like the idea if he's still alive. Do you think he is still alive? I don't know, actually. Uh, 84850, steve at uk, And uh, another one here. Uh, this is... Oh, actually, let's try and get round to uh, to some of the papers this morning. Because they've got Melanie Sykes, Mel, I'm sexiest in my 40s. No, you're not. OK, just let me tell you that now, actually. No, you're just coming over as a little bit sad and desperate, I'm afraid. There's also the other story, Jimmy Savile, it runs, it runs, it runs. This is a top TV director who's revealed he blew the whistle on Jimmy Savile, having sex with a young girl at the B, but was ignored. David Nicholson, now 67, caught the, uh, uh, the pervert, they say, on his Jim will fix it dressing room with a girl aged 16, maybe 15. He said bosses told him that's the way it goes. Really? See, the trouble, you don't... How do you prove it? How do you prove it? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, that story runs in in all the papers, all the papers. TV illusionist Darren Brown, cleaner, has finally gone to prison. You know, she he left blank cheques for, for work to be done, and she made them out in her own name and got them cashed. She stole £33,000. Uh, Rocio Pavon Navarrete stole two blank signed cheques, and she's been jailed for 16 months. Good. Good. I'm delighted, you thieving old toe rag. Finally sent to prison for stealing from the very fantastic Darren Brown. 14 minutes to five. This is LBC 97.3. Biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Can you believe that Jimmy Savile contributed to a book called Stranger Danger? Some years ago, he was a contributor which warned youngsters about, you know, strangers. Like, you know, when I was younger, it was don't accept sweets from strangers. And, uh, you know, don't talk to strangers. And it, it came from the war where it said, you know, idle talk costs lives. So don't talk among yourselves about things that are going on in the country. And then it was sort of expanded. Jimmy Savile, of course, was the face of British Rail, the age of the train. He was also clunk click every trip. In fact, he was everywhere. And as somebody said, they've never known anybody fall so fast from grace, from being up there with tantamount to the almighty to down here, where people are taking the name Saville off everything they they, they can find. There's also a picture of a girl here, a schoolgirl in a Polaroid with him, and she's cuddling up to him. She's cuddling up to him. This is a... She's a a 53-year-old mother of two, and I think she was 14 
I don't, I don't know if this is the same girl. They've not pixelated her face, and I don't think she's identifiable just looking at this picture. But she's cuddled up to him. And, um, you know, this is in 1974. And she said, I tried speaking out, but nobody was interested. It was the word of girls from a school for problem kids against the great Jimmy Savile. Well, this happened in Canada. I don't know if you remember the story of the Catholic school in Canada, where the boys were systematically abused by a number of the monks who worked there, who were entrusted to, to look after their upkeeping. And over a period of years, this went on... Oh, it was systematic abuse for a long time with sort of young boys going into the seminary and they tried making complaints and nobody took a blind bit of notice. Nobody believed them because they were young. Then they, they went, no, you're right, just get on with it. And uh, they made a documentary and one of the priests involved was pursued by somebody who, who came back. What, what he, 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 he invited all the boys to sit down and tell him what had happened with this particular priest who was now married with children of his own. And they went round there and they put him on, on trial in Canada. It was the biggest scandal to hit the Catholic Church, who systematically over the years have covered up paedophile priests all over the place. In fact, the Catholic Church has been notoriously bad. They, they didn't want it. They, they just buried their head. If there was a paedophile priest who was molesting children in a parish, they moved them to another parish. The BBC did a documentary, finally, I think it was the BBC. On second thoughts, maybe it might not have been, seeing as they canned that Newsnight programme. And they're now asking questions and saying, why was this canned? This was a programme which was going to be exposing Jimmy Savile. And then, for some reason, it got canned. And they say that the editor could now be fired and also... You know, why was this programme stopped? Was it because Jimmy Savile was Teflon? And nobody could touch him. I mean, was it because he raised so much money for charity? Was it because he raised millions for Stoke Mandeville? Was it because he probably believed his own publicity and thought, you know, well, if I've raised a million here, then I can go and have that little girl over there and did his mind? We don't know. The interesting thing was we actually ran a clip yesterday on LBC, which ran with Susan Bookbinder. Do we have that clip still? Just a matter of interest. I'm just curious whether we still have it in the in the file of Jimmy Savile talking to the Irish reporter which ran yesterday in Susan. Do we still have that, that clip, do you think? Can we play it? Can we, can we find it? Let's we'll see if we can find it, because I heard it yesterday, and I was saying to somebody upstairs, I said, in fact, we all stopped talking, because it sounded so creepy. It was, it was the, the presenter of this programme in Ireland who was quizzing him about something, and he was going, oh, I don't know anything about that kind of thing. And I thought it was actually quite interesting, because I wasn't sure whether or not he was in denial, or whether he thought it was the kind of thing that would never come out, or perhaps he never... Perhaps it just never entered his mind, because everywhere he went, the royal family, everybody, I mean, everybody knew Jimmy Savile. Everybody was saying, oh, yes, Jimmy Savile was this, he raised lots of money, he came along and he did this for our school and he raised money here, but nobody knew about the, the side things. And it's, it's almost, it's the biggest thing that we've had in this country for ages, because it, it could be bigger than we imagine. There could be people working within television who were aware of what went on, as indeed we've got a, a producer on the front page of one of our biggest national papers this morning saying that he said something and they just said, oh, listen, that's what happens, that's what happens. We don't, we don't need to sort of worry about things like that. It just, it goes on. And you think to yourself, well, I mean, w was that what they did in those days? If, 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 if the presenter was actually big enough, did they then say, well, I tell you what, just listen, he's big enough, let him, let him get away with it. Because I've known presenters over the years... Be extremely rude, extremely rude. And they go, oh, listen, you have to, that, that's part of their creative being. But this was the conversation between Jimmy Savile and this, this it, it was on News Talk, wasn't it, in Ireland. And, and it, it went as follows. Oh, never heard of it in my life. Never heard of it? Never heard of it in my life. 
Well, it was mentioned in that documentary. No, it wasn't at all. Now, you see, when you get a documentary like that, what they do is they keep prodding you. And what they hope is that you will fall out with them. And then they think that makes good television. But it doesn't, you see. And that was Jimmy Savile talking because she was making the allegations about, about the girls. And so he actually just sort of dismissed it. No, no, it wasn't that. No, no, it wasn't that. I mean, I've, I found it really quite interesting to listen to. But yesterday, when I heard that being played back, he claimed he knew nothing about the, about the, uh, the allegations and about the rumours of him and young girls. And so, I seriously, I mean, either he was completely cracked upstairs or he, or he, he knew about it and was just doing a very good cover-up because over the years, he'd managed to be able to get away with it. Producers that he worked with, people on the show, they must have known about it. They must have known about it, you know, inappropriate touching, you know, arm round here, arm round there. I mean, I don't know if they found, because we mentioned on the programme the other day, the only fix-it that I ever remember him going on was with a young girl to the Dead Sea. Now, that must be in the BBC archives, because it was such a rarity that he actually went on a fix-it. But we we were joking, seems awful, doesn't it, joking about this kind of thing back in the 70s. You know, Jimmy Savile, now then, now then. Oh, I hope it's a little girl coming on next. And, th- and, we, and that was like a standard... Ge- but you never think about it. You just, it. you just put it down to the fact it was Jimmy Savile, and that's what he was into. So when this producer says on the front of the paper today he actually caught him with a, with a girl in his dressing room, the bosses said, well, that's the way it goes. So quite clearly the bosses were, were protecting their star. And he was. Jimmy's, Jim, was Jim will fix its programme you know, was was huge in this country because it was a kindly old man who wasn't at all attractive, with badly bleached hair, wearing a collection of bizarre outfits, you know, sitting there with his big cigar. I mean, smoking on television, the big cigars, you know, and doing the whole business. And here's a letter from 14-year-old Stacey, what's her name, and she wants to go, blah, blah, blah. And and he would, he would fix it for people. It was their dreams come true, little realising that he was, you know, behind the scenes. It was completely different. Newsnight staff... We're up in arms, as you can well imagine, uh, over the decision to dump the Jimmy Savile investigation. The future of the show's editor was said to be hanging in the balance. Peter Rippon axed the Savile probe last December, just before three films praising the disgraced DJ were due to be broadcast. Show insiders have told of a furious backlash with Jeremy Paxman, said to be among those who disagreed with the decision. A senior source said people are angry and depressed about it. Peter said he was not leaned on but they find it questionable. There's a feeling he's been hung out to dry by the BBC. Last night, Jim Moyer and Jonathan Powell denied that claims of sexual abuse by Savile were an open secret in the 80s. It's amazing how many people never heard about it. I find it absolutely amazing that um, he said claims of sexual abuse by Savile were an open secret, and they've denied them. Well, I didn't even work for the BBC, and I heard about it. So if I heard about it, you know, over in commercial radio land, at the BBC, they must have either been tone deaf or they put cotton wool in their ears. Because everybody knew about it. Everybody was talking about it. You know, you, everybody talked about... I mean, it was the same things that were being talked about then as are being talked about now. It's the same things. Is Cliff Richard gay? That was the big question. Is Cliff Richard gay? They get, well, he's not married, you know. And they go, oh, yes, but he's, he, he's Christian. And the, they still persist to this... For the whole of Cliff Richard's career... This has dogged him with, you know, so he lived with this man. Now he's got a priest living with him, who apparently is his mentor. You know, Cliff is 70-something. Has he ever had girlfriends? Yes, he's had girlfriends. Were they serious? Who knows? Is he gay? And then people say, no smoke without fire, you know. And so every interview that Cliff Richard had to do, he had to go through this sort of gamut. Of, and then he said, you know, I th- I'm one of them. He, he said something which kind of, you know, it kind of sort of opened the door a little bit. So you could just put your little toe in there. 
And I can't remember what it was. He said, I was always told, you know, keep things a secret. Somebody said, you know, if you've got a secret, keep it yourself. You know, and perhaps he comes from another generation. Perhaps he, perhaps he doesn't want to be open about his sexuality. It makes you, makes you worry, doesn't it, really? Every pop star, you've got to know about their sexuality nowadays. You know, every time I look at a boy band, first thing I think is, OK, there's four of them, one in four is. I wonder which one it is. You know, and you start, start looking along the line-up. Prince Harry is operating like a World War II Spitfire pilot as he's helped saving the lives of wounded British soldiers. Well, he's had to do something to get away from the stupid new shots of him at the Wynn Hotel in... Uh, in Las Vegas, and uh, Justin Bieber, oh dear, he has got intimate snaps of himself and his girlfriend. Apparently the thief nicked the laptop, so no doubt they'll be popping up on the internet, won't they? Nude Justin Bieber. Ooh, scary, scary. I bet you people will be searching for those immediately. Nude Justin... Why do people want to take nude pictures of themselves? I don't quite get that at all. Oh, and they found... They found exactly the spot where Julius Caesar was stabbed to death. Next to a Rome bus stop. Now, I say next to a Rome bus stop because, uh, apparently, he fell dying at a Senate meeting. And the Senate meeting was where this bus stop is in, uh, in Rome. And so that's what they've said. He was stabbed to death. They put a little plaque there. This is where he was stabbed to death. I quite like that idea. I like the idea that they found it as well, which is, uh, which is good. Uh, other stories in the papers today, apart from uh, anorexia. The story of this little boy who goes to his birthday party and the staff at this place serve him whiskey and water in a glass and he drinks it. You think he goes, uh, pff, 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 like kids do. He's only, little bless his heart, Sonny Reese. He slurped 40% of this drink down. He's, he's obviously going to be a trainee alcoholic, this boy. They had to take him to hospital. It was only his second birthday party, and he quite clearly loved it. Whiskey and water. But the funny thing is, looking at the size of this whiskey and water, nobody serves whiskey and water like that. It's a full tumbler of whiskey and water. You don't serve whiskey and water like that, because it's generally, you know, special water you put in it, and you just do about the same equivalent of whiskey. You know, don't you? I would have thought so. I mean, that, that, to me, does look like a quite interesting drink. And with a straw. Because if you serve any drink, be it a beer or a vodka or a, or a you know, anything like that, and you serve it with a straw, you can guarantee to be drunk out of your mind. Oh, right. Nina and hubby. Where am I looking? Oh, Frankie and... Oh, it's in Swansea. Oh, he's drinking. He's quite clearly ordering in his own bar. Swansea. Only in Swansea do they serve the kids of two with a nice whiskey. Do you want whiskey and water for our little boy here? He's two. Just water it down a bit. He'll love it. He'll love it. He really will. Then we can get in the papers with it. Look at him. Bless his heart. He managed three quarters of a glass full. Can't believe it. On FM, online and digital radio, London's biggest conversation. This is Elgulland. Nice to know that the two-year-old who was drinking the very weak whiskey and water, by the time they got him to A&E, he'd gone to sleep. As you can well imagine, and then he threw the rest up, I'm afraid. But, uh, I mean, it could have been fatal, but he's happily... And the worst thing is that they've actually taken a picture of him drinking it. So did they know what it was, or what did they think it was? Just funny coloured water. I mean, I mean, the, the picture is in, the, in the, the sun today. There's the picture of him drinking it at his birthday party with a straw. And it was at a place called uh, Frankie and Benny's. Quite clearly a place with very stupid staff, but it is Swansea, so I kind of rest my case. And so this is the little two-year-old, and uh, he was given booze, and he's drinking it with a straw, and of course he's happily, he's happily supping it back. I mean, to be honest, I don't think you take two-year-olds out to... I know, I guess it looks, it looks completely off a truck. Look, I'm, I'm looking at the picture of the mother, 
She looks like she's been been face tanned and all the rest of it, doesn't she? She's got that kind of uh, kind of look. You don't take a two year old out for a birthday party, don't you? Have it at home. Isn't that where you have birthday parties for kids at home? You don't go out to places like Frankie and Benny's. But, of course, you know, it's there. But, unfortunately, I mean, there is a, there is a downside to this story. Whilst we all laugh and go, oh, isn't it funny, two-year-old having a drink of whiskey and then passing out and all the rest of it. I mean, kids will drink anything. You give it to them. It's got an unusual... T- they'll drink it. The worst thing is, the kid might then acquire a taste for that and doesn't really want lemonade unless it's got a good gin in it. You know what I'm saying? But there is a student here, Timothy Jarvis... Timothy Jarvis uh, entered a drinking competition. Now, I always worry about drinking competitions. Not that I've ever done them. You know, I, I can drink fairly quickly with the best of them, and I, but I'm, I'm not that fast. I can, I can make a drink last at least ten minutes if I put my mind to it. And he drank a bottle of rum in 15 minutes. A bottle of rum in 15 minutes. And he then fell to his death. He had a boozing bet on. He was a... Um, he started his, his maths degree... And uh, he, he, he died of this booze because you just can't drink that much booze. And some people, their body isn't up to it. And so he died. Uh, Demetrius uh, Vakalois, a fellow student, told how his pal died after a boozing bet on October the 11th last year. They had a stopwatch as they drank a bottle of rum. Timothy claimed he could drink one in 30 minutes and did it in 15 he then asked for his keys to rent him driving. As we tried to get him to the bed, he started chasing me and a couple of girls. I heard the storewell, stairwell door open, then a fall. He was lying at the bottom. And, uh, and he died as a result of his injuries. And so it's, it's a lesson, isn't it, for people to, to not do this booze drink. And you see lots of clubs in the government, I thought, were, were trying to clamp down on booze drinking. Students who go out there, students who can't afford to pay the fees because they've got no money. They can buy enough drugs and drink to fill their body and sink the Titanic. But they don't want to pay for the fees because that's like too much money, and mummy and daddy will have to pay for it instead. And, and I was only saying to Binky the other day, I said, Binky, is your mumsy going to be paying for that? And she said, Whoopert's paying, Whoopert's paying, because his mummy and daddy paid for him, so they're paying for me as well. And everybody in, in the Chelsea programme, we're all, like, so rich, and we just don't need to get drunk all that often. We just have rather vacuous lives. Uh, then there's some poor bloke here, Paul and Jeanette Henry, were driven mad by a beep every so often. And it, it was driving them crackers. And so they started ripping down walls trying to find what it was. It turned out to be a smoke alarm in a drawer. And the battery was running down. So about every minute and a half, beep, beep. I did it years ago. I have to be honest, I was, I was, I was always told, and, and I knew it to be a fact, that Mike Dickin, who used to do a programme on LBC, hated musical Christmas cards. Hated musical Christmas cards. You know the ones you open and go... And it just repeated the same tune over and over again. If you're very lucky, you've got Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Silent Night. And Mike Dickin hated these cards so much that people started sending them in. And so what I did in our office, in one of our buildings, we had a dry wipe board on the wall, a big one, and it was screwed to the wall. And so I opened one of these Christmas cards and I took out the little musical thing inside. And I dropped it behind the dry wipe board. And so all you could hear in the office was this thing repeating. And, of course, these batteries, they're like little pacemaker batteries. They go forever. They go. He went ballistic. He was sitting in the office, and his hearing wasn't the best. And, uh, and, it, and he looked up, and uh, I went, you're right, Mike. He went, what is that noise? And I went, I don't know. 
And so he then started going round the office. And he was going round the office trying to find where this noise was coming from. And eventually he located it behind the dry... He had, he had, he had the dry whiteboard removed. So he could take this thing out. It drove him mad. I was such a prank. I didn't care. I didn't care. I was like prank patrol on the on the television. I was out there pranking Mike Dickin at a very, very early age. Uh, Molly King and uh, the rest of the dreary Saturdays, apparently in L.A., filming their new reality show. Perhaps they'll stay there. That'd be quite a good idea, wouldn't it? And, um, and a masked thug threatened to smash up Amir Khan in an online video after the boxer fought off his gang. It's a rather pathetic-looking little creature who's wearing a little mask and it's clearly identifiable. They'd better find him very fast. And uh, this was after some people tried to carjack Amir Khan and take away his vehicle. Amir and his boxer brother, Haroon, traded blows with six men as the gang smashed the Range Rover's windows with a kosh. In the video, the thug taunts Amir as he waves around a designer wallet and a set of car keys stolen in the attack. He's a rather pathetic little girl's blouse. But uh, only up there, little gangs, little gangs. Apparently, uh, he says, every time you come to Birmingham, we're going to smash you up. And uh, it's, it's a rather sad little person. But they will find him. He's ugly as well. But he has to hide his little face. Probably because he's so unattractive, I should imagine. I feel sorry for postmen in this day and age. Apart from that, they have to put up with dogs. And people say, where's my post? We have an excellent postman. Our postman is brilliant. Every, I mean, I try and catch him most days. Because it saves him having to try and shove the post through the door. And I'm very good. I take the post from him. I'll sign for things. It doesn't matter. And he's really, really good. But there is some postman here. And this is in uh, Chippenham in Wiltshire, and uh, the postmen are refusing to deliver to one road. Why? Dogs? No. Terror, terror gerbils? No. Fleas. Fleas. Bosses claim the area is a health and safety hazard. A postie was bitten on his legs and arms. Residents who blame an infestation at one house having to trek across town to pick up their mail. Uh, this poor man, and the Royal Mail has apologised for the ban and said deliveries would resume once the area passed a risk assessment. The Housing Association responsible for the home said one treatment has already been carried out and if required a second treatment. Where do they come from? Fleas. Do they come from dead animals? Is it dead animal? No, it wouldn't be fleas, would it? Or perhaps just dogs can have fleas or things like that. So they just exist, do they? Do they, do they pay rates? I don't know. Do fleas pay rates? Do they go on holiday? I don't know. Do you go to little flea hotels or something like that? They, they're just there to irritate. So the postman said, no, not delivering there anymore, which is good news. Uh, the, other, the other sort of good news was that the bloke who wore the, the disgusting T-shirt uh, has been jailed. And, strange enough, Duncan Barks overnight was saying that he shouldn't have been jailed. And I was half in and half out of the shower, and I didn't quite catch the argument as to why this man shouldn't have been jailed. Because he was wearing a T-shirt. This is a, a career crook, a rather sad, pathetic little girl's blouse again, who was wearing a T-shirt celebrating the death of two women cops hours after they were shot, was jailed. Barry Thru, Thu, walked through a town with one less pig Perfect justice on one side of his T-shirt and kill a cop for fun.co.uk, ha, 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 on the back. And uh, he's a rather pathetic little person. You know, we've all encountered them. He's a particularly stupid one. He showed no remorse at all. He, uh, he's got 77 previous convictions. To be honest with you, I mean, people like that are so sad and so stupid. And because they smoke their drugs, they think they're so big and so clever... You feel like sort of just taking them out and hanging them, don't you, really? And then going, ha, 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 ha. But it makes us as bad. So they've sent him to prison. Eight months. The judge said the sentence will give you time to reflect on the appalling way you acted. Well, he's too stupid to realise that. He's not intelligent enough. 
He's just a bit thick, I'm afraid. And so he wrote on his little Reebok T-shirt, one less pig, perfect justice, and uh, allowed himself to walk through a town. I mean, somebody of limited intelligence, you can only feel sorry for them. You can only feel an, immen- an, an immense amount of pity he has grudges against everybody. I mean, he must look in the mirror and feel immensely sad and sorry, and then he smokes his joint and he probably thinks he's really big and butch and everything else. 77 previous convictions. I mean, it's just sad, isn't it? Never mind. You spend your time cogitating in prison because that's quite clearly what you're going to be destined to be doing for the rest of your life, and nobody cares. That's the trouble. I don't see why we should have to worry about people like that anymore. Uh, I see that uh, two-thirds of British women say their careers stall once they hit 40 This is not possible. The same number reckon even looking 40, whatever your real age, is enough to kill your job advancement. And so here they've got Melanie Sykes, uh, whose fiancé is 26, and so she's posed naked. And uh, she says, being happy with how you look is sexier than a line-free face. Yeah, I mean, I'm suicidal now. I mean, I'm suicidal. I mean, does it happen for men? You know, when you hit... I haven't hit 40 yet, but when I hit 40, I'm beginning to wonder. I do worry about lines. I do worry about lines on faces. I do think about that a lot. I think about that a lot. I think to myself, should I have Botox? And I keep thinking about it. And then I'm thinking, oh, it might hurt. And on the other hand, you're then freezing the skin. And I've seen the effects of what it looks like on Richard Arnold. And God knows you don't want to look like Richard Arnold. I mean, that really is. I mean, that's that's piggy face out of piggy face. That's really awful. I think he had loads of stuff before he appeared on television. It hasn't helped him, though. He's still irritating and still not even mildly amusing, I'm afraid. But he's, he's, he's sort of better looking than most people who appear on television nowadays. But uh, So Melanie Sykes is 42. Her fiancé is 26. And she says she's never been happier. And so she's taken all her clothes off. I just think it's amazing. And, and, and it's, it's really terribly sad that Melanie Sykes has to tell everybody I'm sexiest in my 40s. That's what you think, love. The rest of us don't think that. The rest of us don't think that at all. I'm sure your boyfriend, but he is a little bit younger, you know, would, would sort of perhaps agree. But, you know, to go taking your clothes off is a bit of an insult to people. Nobody wants to take their clothes off and go, oh, I'm really happy being this size, or I'm really happy, you know, with my gorgeous long hair. I mean, I just like hair. I'd be quite happy with hair. Quite happy with hair. If somebody said, you, you know, but I've seen Wayne Rooney's, and as we've now pointed out to you, pictures in the paper today, it's fallen out. 30,000 quid, whoosh, down the swanee. Kind of not worth it. Perhaps just go back to wearing a hat. So much easier. News headlines this morning with Sam Pittis. Seven Royal Marines have been arrested in the UK on suspicion of murder. London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Past five, Friday morning in London town. We're coming to you live from Leicester Square. Steve Allen's early breakfast. You're very welcome. Do you think fleas go on an itch-hiking holiday, says Dale? You're right, it was a very, very cheesy attempt at uh, writing something funny, which uh, was actually passable, but very, very old. Uh, eight for eight five zero. Oh. Uh, Rich says, um, we don't enjoy this quality of banter in Nottingham, where I live. He says, so I volunteered to do the Heathrow run next week too. Keep it going. Works for a company called KGE. Limited. I like the idea of limited. Actually, it's a shame that this isn't televised, this programme, because then I could hold up pictures and then you could see exactly what I'm looking at when I read a story. And people then... Actually, people don't, don't even bother writing in now saying you're very bitchy because they now go, you're absolutely right, everything you say. I've never, never had anything against me at all. But there's a picture of poor old Lydia Dim, Bright, sorry. And she's in the paper today because Lydia Dim, Bright, has, uh, has launched uh, her own limited edition women's wear clothing range. And... To be honest with you, I'm so glad it's limited edition. I'd hate to think this was going mass appeal, because it's so awful, it's untrue. And poor Lydia Dim has um, 
she's... I don't know what she's done to her face. She's got this really badly bleached hair, which has now been piled up, so it makes her face look even more elongated. It's not... She's looking very old. It's around the eyes. The producer thinks that maybe she had Botox and now she's not had Botox. I can't tell what the look is, apart from haggard. I mean, she really does look haggard. She was with her, her, her boyfriend, little Tom Kilby, wearing one of these. There's something odd about men of a certain height wearing little short raincoats. And little Tom Kilby, who's as camp as a Christmas tree, is wearing a little short, not as camp as Joey Essex, uh, wearing a little short raincoat, uh, and she's stepping out with him in a dress that looks like it was designed by somebody who's never designed a dress before. An awful outfit. Absolutely awful. Appealing to, perhaps, people with bleach blonde hair who look vacant. It really is the worst look I've ever seen in my life. And, of course, you know that Arge, in the only ways... If you haven't followed the only ways Essex, you're not missing much. I'm just telling you, there are a lot of vacuous people who believe their own publicity. And so Arge has finished with Gemma Collins, which we never believed was a real relationship. And, apparently, he might be getting back with Lydia Dim. You'll have to wait for the new series. I mean, what she'd be doing with a fat lump like him, I can't imagine. I mean, Tom Kilby is way better. Arge is just a, a, an old tub of lard, really. But there's a picture of poor Lydia. And she had to walk down the high street to go to the launch of her clothes. So she had to pose with people who probably couldn't believe their luck. They, they probably thought, you know, Romanian hookers had arrived in town or something. Because she looks like that. It's a really bad look. And they didn't have a car to take them where they were going. So she had to stand out. He's wearing the oddest outfit. Who's, does he have a sister? Oh, he has a sister, doesn't he? Tom Kilby has... Is that Cara Kilby? Is that another one of those ballooned items? Very strange person. But anyway, apparently, uh, Arge and Lydia came together. I've got nothing else to say, she shouted as she walked back to Tom's car. All very excited. But the good news is that Joey Essex has uh, upgraded his little girly car and he's now got a Range Rover, but he was pictured with Arge. And they had nothing to say to each other. They were both on their telephones, which was a bit of a worry, but not half as much of a worry as, uh, as the X Factor's Rylan Clark. This was the failure from Katie Price's programme, a rather embarrassing creature who can't sing, has no talent whatsoever. But the scary thing is, and this is where we have to call the police in, he's got a tattoo of Gary Barlow's face on his back. I mean, you know, Rylan, who couldn't pull a dolly mixture if it was in town and can't sing, really has had his 30 seconds of fame. But to have a Gary Barlow tattoo on his back, small wonder that Gary Barlow faked... Sorry, uh, did his walking off. It looked so fake to me. Did it not look fake to you on the television? We went in, turn the camera off. I thought, you're being paid a lot of money for this. It's a great act, and I, and I, quite, I quite liked it. You know, feigning annoyance that they put through this, this numpty here. This, you know, anybody who appeared on Katie Price... You won't have seen Katie Price's programme because there were more people working on it than there were turned up for it. In fact, when they filmed it down at Westfield, they had to try and rope people in and people weren't remotely interested. It was really embarrassing. I did watch a couple of them. John Warrington um, sent me a cut and it was so embarrassing. I mean, she's had her day now. It's, it's, it's practically all but over for her. And, uh, and this one is just a little bit of a desperate person. You just want these people to get proper jobs. I would love Arge to get a proper job, although what he could manage, I've got no idea. Because once they've been tempted by showbiz, but as Harry Durbridge found out, and as we repeated earlier on this morning, his career is finished. There is no work for Harry Durbridge out there because there's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can do. Ian says, from Harlow, on my wedding day, I downed two bottles of malt whiskey. I was 39, and it took me two days to recover. Wow. Crikey. Um, another one here. And 
I'm sure I heard Mike Dickin and Tommy Boyd coming to blows some years ago. Shouldn't think so. Mike Dickin was a pussycat. Absolute pussycat. Uh, so, I don't, well, I don't know. I wasn't there. Kevin the Milkman says, once somebody gets away with something once, then twice, then a third time and more, they think they'll never get caught. And remember Jonathan King saying that 13, 14 and 15-year-olds were old enough to make up their own minds about sex. But we all know that the age of consent is 16 because they're too immature for that sort of thing before then. Now, it's interesting you say that, Kevin, because in Spain, it's 14. I think in Denmark, it's 13, the age of consent. 13. I remember there was a great programme on the television some years ago, and it was called Annika. And it was a story about some uh, Norwegian or Danish or certainly Scandinavian pupils that came over here. And it was with an actor called Jesse somebody who was in El Dorado. And he uh, fell in love with this girl and she came over here and they had what, you know, people loosely describe as a holiday romance. And I think she was about 15. And uh, when when the holiday came to an end, this this programme... Uh, she said, well, you must come back to, you know, to Scandinavia and see my parents. And so he went over there, and he was just an ordinary lad who happened to have fallen in love with this girl. And he goes over there, and the parents are very open. And, in fact, it was something that he wasn't prepared for, because they said, OK, and uh, you're in uh, Helena's bedroom, and it's up there. And the parents allowed them to sleep together at an early age. And he it, it came as a bit of a shock. He thought he'd be in a separate bedroom, and they'd be allowed to hold hands. But the parents were quite... You know, open about sex. Only over here, we're a little bit repressed, I'm afraid. We don't talk about SEX, do we? We sort of brush it under the carpet, you know, ooh, kind of anything like that, you know. And uh, so the moment anybody sort of does talk about X, we all go, ooh, good grief, and we all start backing off as quick as possible. So 16, yes. But do you think people wait till they're 16 and then they go, oh, I'm 16, I can now have sex? I don't think it works like that. I think people, you know, you, you have to be... Motiv- I mean, some people mature quicker than others. So you might find, well, they think, I mean, physically, they actually mature. Physically, people mature. So you can get a 13-year-old. I keep highlighting Mandy Smith, because at 13, she looked about 25. And, you know, she seemed fairly mature. So some people are a bit more mature. It depends how they're brought up, I suppose. Depends how you're brought up, whether you mature quicker than other people. But I don't believe, when I was around, it was 21. Was it 21 for sex, I think? And so now... People are saying, 16, is it too young? And the answer is, probably is for some people. It probably is. Some people aren't mature enough at 16. Other people are very mature at 14. So if, if they decide in Spain you can have sex at 14 and we say here 16, it's like the old drinking thing. You know, I've got friends of mine at 19, 20 here who, if they came with us to Vegas and we all had a big sort of get-together, they wouldn't be allowed to drink or gamble because it's 21 in America. It's different all over the uh, all over the place, isn't it? Uh, Jenny says, if Savile had, for example, been a racist instead of a serial child molester, no doubt the BBC would have taken action against him far sooner. Well, would they? Well, would they? We don't know. I mean, if if, if it appears to have been going on, and a, and a BBC producer is saying that he blew the whistle on Savile at the BBC years ago, and they ignored him and said, "Listen." It just goes like that. OK, let him get away with it. Let him do it. You'd have thought the parents would have been more interested, wouldn't you? You know, the parents would be more interested in, you know, where is my daughter? She's with Jimmy Sa- Where have you been? Been with Jimmy Savile. Doing what? You know, I mean, what sort of parents are they? My, my parents would know where I went all the time. I'm going out, Mum. Where are you going? I'm going to Terry's place. Well, what time will you be back? Um, half past ten? Right. Well, make sure you are. If you're going to be late, you, you phone us. OK. 
I'm sure my parents used to, my mother used to sit up there. If I didn't get in till midnight, my mother would be sitting up, waiting, pretending she'd just come down to the, uh, to the kitchen to make herself a cup of coffee or cocoa. I knew she'd been sitting there all the time with a plate of cheese and pickle sandwiches, because my mum was like that. She thought that before you went to bed, you had to eat cheese and pickle sandwiches, which actually, on reflection, was quite a good idea. And so, it, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. People normally check. But some of these girls were in homes, and if they were in hospital, they didn't have that choice. And they said, whether you believe them or not, I don't know, that they used to, you know, their stomach would be sick with, with fear that he was coming round to molest them again. Well, we don't, you, the, the trouble is, that might or might not be true. We don't know. There's no, there's no documentary evidence. It's just people saying this is what happened. And as I pointed out at the beginning of the programme, there's probably a good number of people who are saying something happened when it didn't. You know, it's easy to jump on a bandwagon of somebody who uh, who isn't alive anymore. And now we've got the girl saying that she was made pregnant by John Peel. In fact, strange enough, I'd forgotten that John Peel had died. So we're still waiting for Liz Kershaw to tell us who the person was who molested her, even though she was over the age of consent. She was well over the age of consent, but we're trying to work out, as indeed I'm sure are the newspapers, who it is she's talking about, who regularly put, put their hands up her jumper and fondle her while she was reading the news. Or, or doing her programme. She said she couldn't say anything because it was live. I mean, I don't know whether it went on on a regular basis. Everybody said it. We had Judy Finnegan saying that uh, one man in a newsroom that uh, she worked at, not at the BBC, regularly used to come back from the pub lunchtime and take his clothes off. I mean, perish the thought it ever happened here. The idea that I might walk in and half the news desk might turn round and be stark naked. I and mean, I'd probably laugh. In fact, I'm sure I would laugh, actually, and then run for HR as quick as possible. LBC 97.3, it's Friday morning in London Town. We'll give you a rundown a bit later on on what Nick Ferrari's doing after the news at 7 and Susan Bookbinder after the news at 6.30. We take all your texts and emails, 8 for 850, steve at lbc.co.uk, and we'll run through the, uh, the Daily Express in a moment as a fourth celebrity has been accused. Time now, this Friday morning, is 5.30. <laughs> They're now saying in the papers in Good Morning, incidentally, that um, uh, that they might dig up Jimmy Savile, or they might not. The trouble is, he's in a coffin which was then encased in concrete, so you can't just dig it up like that. They would have to use, I suppose, drills to break up the concrete, because if they wanted to extract DNA, the only DNA they've actually got is uh, from a final cigar found smouldering in an ashtray when he died in October last year. That was used in a paternity test... And uh, as you know now, the woman who was claiming that Jimmy Savile was her father has now dropped that claim. She's, uh, she doesn't want anything more to do with him, as you can, uh, as you can well imagine. Uh, 16, says Marion, is too old a limit, in my opinion. When I was 15, I was working, holding down a responsible job. Girls of 13-plus can be very manipulative with men. Absolutely. I think the trouble is, people, people become sexually active at an earlier age than they ever used to. People, uh, people know the power of, of sexuality. They know what can, what can attract people. I suppose that's why we have a prolifer- proliferation of lap dancing clubs and things like that and sexuality. Uh, all over the place. There are images in every newspaper. All these these papers, you know, having sort of said, oh, isn't it dreadful about Jimmy Savile? You know, Mel, I'm sexiest in my 40s. And there's lots of stories of sort of, you know, young girls, you know, being page three girls and looking on that as a career. So the sexualisation of, of people starts from a very early age. There's now a fourth TV star accused in the Savile abuse scandal. There's a picture in the paper of, of, uh, of Jimmy Savile and Gary Glitter. Now, I mean, I don't know how it operated, whether or not... You know, girls were found for Gary Glitter. I remember him coming into LBC many, many years ago and not realising at the time that he was wearing a wig. 
that Gary Glitter was, in fact, bald as the proverbial. And uh, he hung around with Jimmy Savile, and they were all there. But now it turns out that uh, a 14-year-old girl has come forward... And a member of the ITV production team says, we've had a name given to us, which is so far not in the public domain. It relates to a celebrity, a media personality who is alive. And we're urging everyone who contacts us to go straight to the police. Uh, insiders say shockwaves are still reverberating around the BBC after the Met Police announced they have 120 lines of inquiry and at least 25 confirmed victims of their former star. And there are a dozen police forces. And these are... Allegations made by young girls aged between 13 and 16 at the time they were attacked. I mean, he's either extremely prolific or there's a lot of fantasists out there. The BBC Director General George Entwistle was doorstepped by Channel 5's Julian Drucker and asked if it was right to run the Savile Tribute programme as it happened last Christmas when the Newsnight probe was in full swing. Mr Entwistle replied, I only knew that there was a Newsnight investigation. I didn't have any, any details about it. I had no idea what the nature of the investigation was. He was then asked if he'd make a primetime apology, as suggested by the BBC Trust chairman, Lord Patton, who has called the scandal engulfing the corporation a cesspit. Seemingly, odds, uh, seemingly at odds with Lord Patton, Mr Entwistle said, I've already apologised on the radio on today earlier in the week. I'm entirely convinced I've done all the right things. You remember, of course, that the Newsnight investigation was shelved by BBC executives, prompting a whistleblower, a former policeman, to take his revelations about Savile to ITV. But we've known about it for years. That's why I'm always amazed when, when people, you know, say at the BBC in, in positions of authority they've never heard these allegations. I think they, I mean, they must be stupid. It was rife in the business. It was absolutely rife. I mean, I, as I say, I know two other household names who were also implicated in the same way as Jimmy Savile. They liked young girls. Two other, ho still, house well, one very much a household name and the other one not so, but still sort of a famous person, as it were. But uh, because the BBC Director General has denied knowing his journalists were investigating child sex abuse allegations when he allowed a glowing tribute programme to the star to be broadcast. He said he knew that there was a Newsnight programme, but he's had no details of it. <laughs> you think, well, if you don't know what's going on, what hope for anybody else, I'm afraid? What hope for anybody else? Uh, the good news is that mineral water, drinking a litre of mineral water every day can prevent and even reverse the devastating memory loss of Alzheimer's. British scientists believe that silicon-rich water can dramatically alter the course of cognitive decline in sufferers by removing toxic aluminium from their bodies. So that could be the thing forward. That could be the way forward. It's a drinking a litre of mineral water. But if you believe everything in the papers, we're all eating beetroot, we're eating goa goa gum or berries or whatever it is that comes from the Himalayas. Now we've got to drink mineral water. Sprouts are either good, bad or indifferent, depending on which website you read. And, uh, and all the things that you love, like cream cakes, are really, really bad for you. Or oh, chips are bad. Only if they're thin chips. If you eat fat chips, they're OK, because they absorb less fat. And fish and chips is really bad for you. And anything that's deep fried. So, in other words, you might as well just stay in, pull the duvet over your head and eat nothing but drink mineral water, because at least you won't go mad. At least you won't start talking to the pillow and imagining that it's actually a real human being. Headline forecast today. Looking out the window as we look out there. Mainly dry at first, with sunny spells developing. However, a chilly westerly breeze likely to bring scattered showers to some parts by the afternoon. Here we are, currently 11. Brrr. 
pretty chilly. And uh, the maximum, 14 degrees. Tonight, mostly dry throughout the evening with some clear cloud. Clear spells. Clear cloud. How could you have clear cloud? I made that word up. I'm ever so sorry. Cloud will increase with some showery rain spreading across London and then clearing again by the early hours. Have you had your flu jab? Have you thought about having your flu? Go get your flu jab. If you're in an at-risk category, then you should be having your flu jab already. If you're not in an at-risk category, you should have one anyway. Just in case there's an epidemic, you can go to any independent chemist. Most of them operate a uh, stick and needle in your arm system. Even my, my chemist, Mr. Shah, operates it at Goods. And uh, you can go there and you can have a flu jab. I urge you to have a flu jab. You want to start being ill this winter. And I predict this, uh, this, this winter could be cold. Could be cold. And uh, John, he says, I last night took delivery of the Titanic uh, book that you kindly brought back from Las Vegas. It looks very interesting, and I shall read it and add it to my already mammoth collection. He said, uh, I'd like to enrol you for a year's membership of the British Titanic Society. No, no problem at all. No, leave, leave. Uh, listen, it's a gift, John. Have it as a gift. I bought you one and I bought me one. And just as well, nobody else asked. <laughs> if everybody else had asked for one of these things, I could have been seriously out of pocket. But uh, no, 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 no. Uh, Barry says, did I hear you correctly? Judy Finnegan caught fondling Liz Kershaw. No, sadly not. But she said that this man in the newsroom used to regularly take all his clothes off. Perhaps they had the heating up or something at the time. I, I knew nothing of that. I mean, our, our, our news desk here just existed in the very, very early days uh, on alcohol. I mean, there was, there was more alcohol... I, I mean, I could tell you a funny story about one business that was being operated in the building, but, I mean, I don't think it would be repeatable to a, uh, to a family programme such as this one, but it, it could be. Oh, there's a picture. Oh, I often wonder what happened to her. Is that we, we mentioned Judy Finnegan, and here's her non-talented daughter. This is Chloe Maidley, who takes her father's name, of course. And um, she's just finished writing her debut novel, she tried entering show business and show business rejected Chloe Maidley. So her father pushed her around every sort of thing. And unfortunately, it wasn't really working. She wasn't much coppered anything at all, I'm afraid. And so uh, now she says, I've been writing since April. It's nice. Do you think joined up? Do you think joined up writing or do you think just colouring in? And she says, it's finally finished. It's a young adult's book about a teenage girl who gets sucked into the world of reality television. Oh, lovely. That's Chloe Maidley, done for drink driving, and who smoked a joint, you remember, don't you? You remember exactly where we're coming from. I wouldn't bother with the book, it sounds as dreary, but Mummy's got one out at the same time, and no doubt Daddy will have one out too. What a, what a lovely family. What a lovely family. Actually, I like, I like Judy Finnegan. I feel sorry for poor Judy Finnegan. I to sit there watching her, and Richard had butt in, and poor Judy... You think, let her speak! So when she appeared on This Morning, and then she popped up on Alan Titchmarsh's show, she looks like a bundle of nerves! Have you ever seen anybody so nervy on television? Um, yes, I think Chloe did wake up one day and go, I'll be an author. Today, I'd be an author. Today, be author. And because she's been out with a few people, hasn't she? And uh, so we had to put, luckily, she's been very quiet for ages. Been too busy trying to write the book. Write a book about a reality show. It takes time to sort of learn how to write books. And she said, I mean, it, it hasn't been published, I hasten to add. She's now looking for a publisher. Janet and John books are us. I don't know. I'm, I'm not really sure. I couldn't possibly be rude about somebody like that. You do worry, don't you? But uh, they've done their best with her. And unfortunately, it's not kind of paid off. Uh, 84850, uk. Uh, Freddie Starr denied being with young girls, yet his current fiance is at least 20 years younger. Yeah, but that doesn't mean anything. He said that on the television the other day. He said a lot of people have picked over him. And said that uh, because he's, what is he, 69 and she's 26. But then he's always been out with younger people. 
So that doesn't... I mean, you know, I don't think 20 or 26 or whatever she is is classed as a young girl nowadays. Definitely not. Uh, 84850. And um, one here that says that sexual abuse or harassment is very serious and could ruin young lives. Uh, not necessarily, Dan. Not necessarily. It depends what it is. I think it really depends what it is. I don't trivialise it. I just point it out to you. We have to explain it to people like you very carefully. John Peel fell out with Bob Harris. So they didn't speak for decades because John didn't approve of Bob cheating on and finally leaving his first wife. Uh, so if John is a father because of an affair, I'd be very surprised, says Kevin the Milkman. Well, that's the that's a story that appears in the Mail Online of a girl who claims that she was having an affair with him. At an early, but the tr- again, he's he's not here. He's he's not alive. So we have uh, no idea. Uh, 84850, uk. Uh, the age of consent in Denmark is 15, not 13. Does it make any difference, Anthony? Are you going there? Do you live there? No. Why would you worry about it? Don't worry about it. It's not going to change the, uh, not change the world at all. And uh, poor, poor old Richard turned on the telly at 1.30 to find the new Only Wears Essex and the Essex Fashion Show. I think it was Essex Fashion Week, but it only lasts a day because they can't find enough numpties to walk up and down a catwalk. And we had uh, Joey Essex in his little short shorts again. I know. So worrying, isn't it? When the programme finishes, what is he going to do for a living? I don't know. Perhaps be an adult. Quarter to six, news with Sam Pitches. Seven Royal Marines have been arrested in the UK on suspicion of murder. <laughs> Sorry, just laughing at a picture of Katie Price, whatever happened to her, uh, visiting uh, that poor little creature, Ryland Clark, at his London hotel to give him a pep talk. A failed page three girl. I mean, what on earth, what sort of pep talk could she possibly give that overblown, no talented bloke, Ryland? That time it was left up to us, isn't it? But anyway, Katie Price turned up wearing somebody else's hair. Looks like a moose's hair, I think, on her head. And uh, again, the bad makeup. And, uh, and bad. she's got no sense of fashion, has she, whatsoever. For a woman who's supposedly in the fashion. Well, actually, that's not bad for as she goes. I mean, Ugg boots. I did notice that her uh, slightly camp, very effeminate makeup artist at one time, Miss, Miss Cockerell, used to wear Ugg boots as well. Ugg boots on men. I can't help feeling it's a big no no. A big no-no. Coming up with Susan Bookbinder this morning at 6.30. They're going to be talking about British gas, who's set to hike the power price. Just what you need, isn't it? Coming up to winter, British gas are going to put up the the prices. Fantastic. Can't wait. I'm sure pensioners everywhere will be rubbing their hands with glee, going, I'm more than happy to pay extra money to British gas for that fabulous service. Thank you so much indeed. Also, with the help of Matthew Arnold, the brother of Timothy, a lawyer who died in the Bali bombings, they'll be looking back the 10th, yeah, anniversary. I was watching the uh, the tributes on the television this morning. And people still continue to go back to Bali and accept the hospitality of the Balinese people. Uh, plus the uh, the former nurse at Stoke Mandeville, the uh, hospital now investigating allegations that Jimmy Savile preyed on children there. Uh, plus the Islington man who watched child porn who got a suspended sentence. They'll be talking to uh, Claude Knights, director of the charity Kidscape. Uh, and the Nobel Peace Prize. Peace Prize is announced today. We went to the Nobel Centre. I went over to uh, to Norway. It's quite awe-inspiring when you consider how the how the money started and uh, and the good that they do now. It's fantastic. Uh, Peter says, uh, I moved down to Kent to my second home and I missed your radio show. Unable to pick up LBC, so I've moved back to my flat in Hampton. I just love the show. 
So there you go. I mean, you could have picked it up on the website. If you've got a computer, then you could just click on to LBC and you can listen live. And, of course, you can download, I should point out, all of the podcasts. You can pay from as little as £2 a month. And that, uh, that means you can download everything on LBC. Details on lbc.co.uk. And uh, if, you, if you download the Steve Allen Show, there's a free podcast every day where we're slightly critical of a few thought of celebrities who might or might not be appearing on the television near you very, very soon. Carl says, what a horrible wet day. I'm about to embark on the Cattle Train Express. That's Epping to Westminster. He said, you made me laugh this morning. Janet and John books. Ha! Ah! Thank you, Carl, very much indeed. It's not our Carl here, is it? No, he wouldn't be coming down from Epping. I don't think so. But uh, but that's it. I like the idea that somebody actually, uh, somebody has moved back up to London because they don't want to miss the programme. And uh, the flu jab not for 65 years and over. Don't be silly. It's for people with chronic illnesses. Don't be silly. We have to tell everybody to get a flu jab. You must have a flu jab. If you're in an at-risk category and you're, uh, you're A category... Then, uh, then that's what you do. You have your flu jab, so you can either get it from the doctor or you can get it all over the place. There's loads of uh, loads of uh, people offering it at the moment. Uh, Steve, I remember my sister telling me when she used to own an off-licence in Devon that so-and-so, so-and-so was one of her regular customers and was always stocking up on gin. Yes, I know. I, I, I believe for the, for the other half. I believe the other half. I believe so. <laughs> Actually, the funny thing is, I never, I never talked to gin funny somebody said to me gin was a depressant so i avoided gin like the plague i never fancied drinking gin it never ever appealed to me whiskey vodka rum actually rum i did courtney downstairs brought me some some proper jamaican rum i mean this blew your socks off this thing if you had a cold get courtney to give you a little shot of his uh, of his rum and uh, the cold vanished instantly. Mind you, talking of that, I went to a chemist some years ago with a friend of mine, and uh, he was very friendly with the chemist and said, listen, a friend of mine's got a really bad cold, but he needs to work. He's got a TV show to do, which was me. And, uh, and the chemist made up this potion, and the cold went like that, and I often wondered what it was. I often wondered, because I've tried all the proprietary things, and the one that I did like, uh, they actually stopped making. They stopped doing it. So I'd, I'd been round all the chemists trying to find as much of it as possible. <laughs> but I, uh, but I didn't. I didn't find it at all. Uh, eight for eight five zero. Oh. Uh, Alan in Clayhall sent me uh, uh, a, a feature, actually, of um, of, a, of a snow leopard. It is a snow leopard, isn't it? I think uh, Paradise Wildlife Park. Their tiger and their snow leopard both passed away. Indy, who had been at the park for sixteen years and was taken very ill over the twenty-four hours, uh, she had a tumour. And uh, so they, they didn't think it was it was right to sort of take her out of it again, and uh, and he's put to sleep. I'm, aspe- I'm afraid that's what happens with animals. But the uh, the place that we go is the is the Cats Protection League, and uh, that's why there's pictures on YouTube of me with the snow leopards, one of whom sadly died because of again a, a brain tumor. But I mean, it was the biggest bundle of fluff you've ever seen. If ever you wanted to get friendly with snow leopards, that would have been the place for me. They really were absolutely wonderful down there. They had so successful at breeding. That's why it makes me laugh when I see an advert on the television and and they say, oh, you know, we're trying to protect the snow leopards. I thought, we've well, been to the Cats Protection League. He's got loads. He's the most successful person I've ever, ever met. Uh, 84850, uk. Let's quickly whiz through the, uh, the Express again. I mentioned the, uh, the Alzheimer's and also... Um, 
the, the crackdown on Britain's borders has been demanded after the revelation that a robber who murdered a frail jeweller was on the run from prison in Poland and managed to get into the country again and get back out of the country. And this is uh, Melianyuk. Uh, his, uh, his first name is uh, Irenush. He'd been at large for three years after fleeing to the UK when he stabbed somebody to death in January, then escaped back to Poland, was brought back facing a, an international manhunt. These people just wander in and out. I don't know how they get through the border controls. Oh, it's bad enough for me getting in, and I, I'm born here. So, you know, these people who sort of managed to get in from other countries, I, I find it absolutely unbelievable. And it, the other thing I find unbelievable is an Iraqi immigrant who fiddled the benefits. He's a crook. But, I mean, obviously, the system is so riddled with, with failure, I'm afraid, if people can fiddle left, right and centre. This one took £35,000, and he said that his uh, dishonesty was based on strict Islamic law. I mean, you know, we've heard some liars in our time. This one kind of takes the biscuit. His name is Majid Hussein. He claimed the sum in income support and housing and council tax uh, over 13 years. Uh, he wasn't entitled to the handout because he had a secret bank account with £36,000 in it. He's a serial crook. When the uh, RBS account was discovered, he said he didn't declare it because in line with Muslim belief, the cash was being kept for his children. Let's just call him a thieving liar, shall we, as well. But um, he, he denied three counts of dishonesty. And uh, he says here, asked why he withdrew money once he'd been found out. Uh, he said he had to because his benefits had been stopped. He said, they withdrew my duty of care. It's amazing how somebody who's never done a day's work in this country in his life knows well about the law. And you find all these people, you know, saying, you know, that, um, you know, I, 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 you have a duty of care to look after me. Why? Why don't you get off your bum and go and do a day's work, for goodness sake? Everybody else has to do it. I don't know why we hand out benefits to people. We seem to have people arriving in the country who contribute nothing to it. Perhaps I should start turning up in sort of war-torn wherever it is and go, well, I'd like some benefits, but I think they'll be laughing at me. Benefits? No, no, you need to go to Britain for benefits. We don't do benefits here. Like, you try turning up in America. Do you have the money? Where are you staying? Um, staying how much money have you got with you? Um, well, it's not enough, is it? Not letting you in. Over here, come in, give your house, a car, million-pound house. Psh, don't have to work for it. Have everything that you want. There was that couple living in Ealing, wasn't there? We had to ask her politely, would she mind moving? I'd have been in there with heavy straightway, throwing the old lot of them out, sponging so-and-sos. Uh, Steve, I missed you telling me about Vegas. Any chance to a quick chat? Steve stayed at Circus Circus. Uh, there will be a recap of that on Sunday's Best Of at 5am, or you can download the podcast from Monday and Tuesday. OK. I don't, I don't like going back over things, unless it's Jimmy Savile, because it features on the front pages of the papers every single day. So, so just go and check out this Sunday... The best of. Who, would, uh, who is our in conversation this week? Do we remember who are? It's Jonathan and Charlotte, who've got a fabulous album out. He's a very shy young man. You remember him from television. It's worth watching their clip on YouTube. Go to Jonathan and Charlotte on YouTube and have a, have a look at that. And, and it's Gwen Taylor, the lovely Gwen Taylor, who's doing Driving Miss Daisy. And uh, that, that's well worth hearing. She's lovely. And I'll tell you what else you must, you must check out. My friend Justin Flom on YouTube, Justin Flom, and he's doing, I think it's the Soldier's Deck of Cards. That's the one you need to watch. He's, uh, he's a very, very nice young man who lives with his wife in Las Vegas. I've known him for about four years now, and he's had about four million hits, and he does a very nice card trick with a, a religious theme to it. So Justin Flom, F-L-O-M, and check out some of his other videos on there. He's a very, very good magician. Very, very good magician. But he does this. It's the, it's, I think it's called the Deck of Cards. I think it's called the Deck of Cards. He's ex he, he looks a little bit like me, actually. 
little bit like me, about 40 years ago, and because uh, he's, he's considerably younger than I am. But uh, we had we spent time together uh, when we were over in Vegas the other week. So check out his, his deck of cards. It's to music. And it's it's really nice. Really, really nice. Uh, coming up, the news at six o'clock with Sam Pittis this Friday morning. You're listening to LBC 97.3, broadcasting live from Leicester Square. And very happy to be here. Very happy to be anywhere, I think. Especially in this miserable day that we've got ahead of us. Uh, still to come, I'll give you the rundown on what Nick Ferrari's got after the news at seven this morning. And we take more of your texts and emails. 84850-stevedlbc.co.uk Alan. Morning, we're trying to find a film. David Niven is a pilot and he dies and he comes back as a ghost. Sam Pittis said, you've got to see this film. He said, it's a great film. I said, I love films where people come back as ghosts. I like things like that. I like The Ghost and Mrs Muir, which was a great film where she goes to live in this cottage and it's inherited, it's inhabited by a sea captain who's a ghost. And in the end, they, uh, they sort of have this relationship. He, he's, he's the ghost, she's living, but then in the end, I don't want to ruin it for you, but she dies and they're then together because finally they can, they can be together. So David Niven dies as a pilot and comes back as a ghost. Sounds fab, doesn't it? I love things like that. Uh, Jeff says, Steve, there was a massive cultural shift that took place in the 1960s which affected our thinking and behaviour in society that's impacted on us today. The traditional way of thinking and behaving pre-60s was sent head over heels with the free liberal thinking movement. Drugs became prevalent. Swearing and sex on film and television were allowed and became the norm and marriage became a smaller word. Just a few examples. The current issues involving the allegations against Jimmy Savile became normal as the shift was happening. That sort of thing happened a lot pre-60s and nobody said anything. It was... Well, I thought it was considered the norm. But I come from a generation where we, we came through that. We didn't think it was anything unusual. As I said before, the casting couch was alive and well in Hollywood and operating over here. Sexism has always been there. It's just that people didn't see it as sexism. It's only now, in this PC climate that we're in, that people see it as, as sexist behaviour. You know, if, if, if I say to the producer, mm, looking hot today, you know, she has every right to go, don't talk to me like that, I'm not an object. And, in fact, at one time, strangely enough, there was an LBC advert, which was, I'm not a number, I'm a free man. So it didn't, it didn't sort of itemise people down. It had a ball that bowled down a beach, which was very much like the prisoner. And, uh, and that's how it was, but it was a different climate, I accept the fact that things have, have changed now. You can't say things to people now, which you could say years ago. You know, people did put out for a couple of drinks. You know, people did go out for meals. You know, if somebody said, uh, uh, would you like to come out for dinner? You thought, no, you don't just mean dinner, do you? You mean, you know, that little bit of how's your father afterwards? Because if it was just dinner, it'd be a boring night. So he didn't bother. So that's why it was all different. So that's why, and you know, I'm not particularly bothered about, you know, what did or didn't go on within the BBC, because I think it was running rife everywhere. I think every organisation had it, whether you were a, a bank, a shop, or anything. If it was just dinner, that would be a boring night. Such a good line, isn't it? If it was just dinner, what do you mean just dinner? Di- what do you mean dinner? What do you mean you don't find me attractive? Goodness sake, I'm an attractive person. Am I not getting your juices coursing through your body? Just dinner. Oh, di- just dinner. That'd be it. You know, at the end of dinner, they go, right, we've just had pudding, so uh, should I get you a taxi? You go, oh, I'm going home, am I? Almost like, you know, surprise. And Jimmy Savile is on the front of all the papers again, because I think it's going to run and run and run. I mean, I heard stories the other day about a well-known person who used to throw parties with lots of girls. And the girls were there for one thing. They were there to keep the men happy. And this person's very well-known. Very well-known. 
You know, there's loads of there's loads of stories, but that's what happened in the early days. People went round in a haze, didn't they? There was drugs, it was free love, it was San Francisco, it was flower power, and nobody thought about it. Nobody even thought what sexist behaviour meant. You know, if you fancied somebody, you told them. There was no point in hanging around and wasting time, because if you didn't tell them, somebody else told them. So that's why it, it changed, and I'm quite sure there's going to be a lot more coming out about celebrities who bedded girls. Women, mothers, whatever. I can remember... I can remember going to... I went with Biggins. And we went to Stringfos for a party. And there was a mother and daughter there who were cruising the room. A mother and daughter were cruising the room. You know, looking to get free drinks off people. I mean, we just laughed about it. We didn't think it was serious at all. Uh, the David Niven film... Let's see if somebody's found it. Oh, sorry, I found the wrong one, actually. I found a T-shirt company instead. Not the kind of thing I want on a Friday morning on LBC. The film is a matter of life and death, says Graham in Bishop Stortford. Well, you should know. A matter of life and death. I wonder if it's available. I wonder if it's available on... Uh... Let me check it on Amazon. We'll, 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 we'll get the little producer. Come on, girly. Can you pick up the... OK. She didn't mind that. She didn't hear that. OK, fine. Producers say yes. She say yes. Matter of life and death. There you go. Dave's got it as well. Thank you. Anthony, matter of... It's amazing how much you know. I'm always... A... Well, I shouldn't be surprised at the LBC uh, audience because you... Uh, you absolutely know everything. Justin Flom's very good looking. He's, he reminds me of me many, many years ago. But uh, but the, the actual trick that he's doing with the deck of cards, you have to hear with the sound up, because it's it's beautifully done. It's executed, as I say, beautifully. He's a very clever boy. He really is. Uh, Anthony, uh, Estelle. Was it Mrs Miniver? No. Do you know, I never got it. That was with Greer Garson, wasn't it, Mrs Miniver? I never quite got into Mrs Miniver. I know it's a famous film. I think I watched a bit of it. I liked... I like. I don't know what I like, actually. I like everything. Sometimes I'll see a film and it's not in my particular genre. I don't, I don't fit into a category of saying I like horror films or I like Hollywood blockbusters or anything like that. I was recommending a film to Sam Pittis, The Inn of the Sixth Happiness, which is the story of Gladys Aylwood, the missionary who goes to China. It's her, it's her role. She saves up every week. She says, I want to go to China because it's played by... Um, What's her name? Can't remember the actress now. But anyway, it's played by her. And she's very good indeed. And uh, she goes to the to the travel agent and he says, well, it's very expensive to go to China. She says, I shall take a job in a house. She said, and every week I shall come in and pay a little bit of money. And then when I have the money, then I can go to China as a missionary. And that's what she does. She goes there in the early days of, of China where they hadn't seen white women before. And there's Gladys Aylwood fighting her way through warlords, beheadings, you name it. It was going on all to look after people in, a, in an orphanage. In, you know, one of those sort of places. And it's it's a really good film. It's a, you know, Hollywood... They're celebrating, I think, 100 years of Universal. They're celebrating. It's their 100th anniversary. And uh, they show they're all these films out. They show all these clips. I started watching Battleship yesterday. But you've got to put up with 15 minutes at the beginning of all the, of all the films that they're promoting. And, you know, when you look at it, my God, films change your life. My God, they change your life. You know, whether it's whether it's for the better every time, I don't know. But just love to be moved. Ingrid Bergman. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Ingrid Bergman. In of the Sixth Happiness. It was her accent. There was something about her. She just she just looked like you wanted to love her. She just looked like you wanted... It's like the woman who was in um, the Glenn Miller story, who died a short while ago. She, you just, she just had one of those faces... Just had one of those faces. Like Betty Davis never had one of those faces in movies. She was always, you know, hard, bitten. You know, it was very good, but very calculating. I always, it was always my, my wish to interview Betty Davis. But she came into LBC. Brian Hayes managed to get her. She was promoting a, a book at the time. 
And she came in and she had a little hat on her head, like a little pillbox hat. And we didn't realise till afterwards. A friend of mine was a makeup artist at the BBC and she said that the, the hair that she had was sewn into the hat. So she had all these hat boxes with the hats and the wigs. And she just put the, the little wig on her head like that, which I thought was quite sweet, actually. I never met her. She came in. And they just went. We just took it for granted. These people came in. I never thought it was. You know, I never thought it was big. I've just done that. I've just thanked him. You were on the phone to him while I thanked him. I'm not thanking him twice. God, he only phoned once. If he'd phoned and left money, I could have understood it. But I mean, you know, he didn't leave any money at all. Eight four eight five zero. Steve at lbc dot co dot uk. And um, uh, Stephen Harlington says, could it be that they found out that the Jimmy Savile estate? Is worth over four million quid, the reason for all the allegations. Well, I don't think they have any claim to the estate at all. I'm 99% certain that they don't. I don't think you can claim against the estate of a dead person. I'll check my facts a bit later. LBC 97.3. When you're... Thank you, Marion. June Allison, bread would not taken out, was in the Glenn Miller story. It was such a good film. There were certain actresses years ago who knew how to do pathos. They knew how to sort of, you know, look into the camera. And Ingrid Bergman and June Allison were just two out of many, I should imagine. 84850, steve at uk. Yes, we all know now which, uh, which David Niven film it was. It was called A Matter of Life and Death, where he sort of apparently plays a fighter pilot who comes back as a ghost. The point is that the pilot doesn't die after crashing into the sea, and heaven tries him so he can die, but he wins his case for life after a defence says he's fallen in love and nothing is greater than love. Thank you, Richard. Oh, God, it's more complicated than I thought. Well, it's, it's Sam Pittis likes it, so if, if, if Sam Pittis likes it, that's good. Uh, 84850. Uh, the Deck of Cards... Uh, that's at least 30 years old from a USA country artist and sent up by David Frost as the cricket bag. Yes, no, it's, uh, no, it's not. No, 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 th- this, is, this is not the Wink Martindale, the deck of cards. This is uh, Justin Flom's, which is very, very good indeed. Very good. Um, Andrew says, step back and wonder how much ITV paid those women to make allegations about a great charity worker who's not here to defend himself. Well, as I say, it's, it's the proving of it, isn't it? But the trouble is now there is overwhelming proof that Jimmy Savile did molest a number of women. Too many people have come forward. Too many people have come forward and everybody knew about him before. It doesn't matter whether or not he was a great charity worker. That had nothing to do with it. That was, uh, that was a separate issue. The fact he raised a bit of money, Andrew, as you well know. You know it's like playing devil's advocate. A bit stupid at this point of, point of time. But uh, he raised some money for charity. And that's probably why they never did anything. That's probably why they decided to shelve these things and try and brush it under the carpet, because brush it under the carpet is what they did. But there's too many people coming out now, you know, people who worked with him saying everybody knew what he was like. Everybody knew exactly what he was like. I knew what he was like, and I'd never even met him. Well, there you go. Uh, Maxine said, spent yesterday sorting out my Christmas DVDs. Lovely festive scene on the laptop. Screensaver off to Costco in Watford for wrapping paper today. All systems go woohoo. Sounds like one of the housewives from Orange County. Oh, they were on the television the other day, the housewives of Orange County, doing one of their round table or round settees. That Vicky's vile. She really is a nasty little piece of work. In fact, they're all horrible, I've discovered. They're not, they've not got one saving grace between any of them. They're really horrible people. <laughs> really horrible. But I find it fascinating just to watch them. I really find it fascinating just to watch them. Um, and uh, I'm of your generation, says Patricia. What, 40s? 30s? And it was considered quite normal and even expected for older men to flirt and hit on young women. Thank God. The young women of today seem really screwed up and neurotic. Wait till the men don't do it anymore. I always tell them. 
tearfully. Yes, I mean, that was that thing, was it? It's walking past the building site and nobody whistles at you. You know, you go past and you think, oh, they used to whistle before. You know, <whistles> now no, nobody bothers whistling because it's, it's considered a bit sexist. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, exactly. But I mean, it was it was it was always considered older men hitting on younger girls. It was considered mm, sit on me. It's like that thing, as I said, at the end of dinner, and then they go, okay, night, and you go, oh right. I'm obviously not considered attractive enough to spend the night with you, and so that's how it goes. It's different times. It was completely different, for goodness' sake. Eight four eight five zero Steve at LBC David says, don't you think it's a case of shutting the stable door after the horse has bolted? In the case of Jimmy Savile, yes, they all knew about it. Every knew about it. I can't believe that the BBC... I think the BBC have got so much blood on their hands, as it were, on this one, that they they can't do anything else but tell lies about it and just go, we knew nothing at all. They might as well have just all clam up at the same time. Because that's the way it seems to be working at the moment. 84850, Um Very quickly, let's check on this one here. On the subject of uh, of Ingrid, uh, Paul says... Uh, this is when he goes up to heaven. Starts in colour, then black and white. Ingrid Bergman plays Gladys Aylward. Richard Wattis was the travel agent. Ah, best song that year for This Old Man. Filmed in Wales, was it really? Do you know, I knew it'd have to be filmed somewhere like that. I thought it might have been. I thought it might have been. Uh, he's on the operating table in Life and Death. Falls in love without seeing the radio operator who talks him out of the sky during an air battle. Co-stars Roger Livesey. Thank you. Ah, it's one of these. It's the voice he's hearing, is it? It's the voice. Front pages of the uh, the papers. Oh, let me tell you, first of all, Nick Ferrari, after the news at seven, the forensic speech analyst who worked on the Soa murder trial and the infamous Who Wants to Be a Millionaire coughing cheat scandal gives his verdict to Nick over Jimmy Savile's denials. Was he speaking the truth? Or telling some great big porkies. The GCSE fiasco continues. Energy prices set to rise again. All that plus a full review of the day's newspapers. David Banks will be in the studio to look through the papers for Nick. They'll be talking uh, about the flooding, the floods and water bill as well. And um, and the vice president TV debate. They do seem of limited intelligence, don't they, in America, when they do things like that. So uh, we'll find out more on that. And uh, the GCSEs. I like the idea of Professor Peter French. I shall be listening out for that one, who's the president of the International Association for Forensic Phonetics and Acoustics and one of the world's most experienced experts in the field of forensic speech, language and audio analysis. Because I told you, when I went to Vegas, we went to the... Uh, to the Mob Museum. Not the Mob Attraction, the Mob Museum. It's the only one you should go to. It's really got all the stuff. And in one room, they've got all the wiretaps that the FBI did on all the, uh, on all the, the mobs. And, uh, and you can listen back to them again. It's amazing what they were listening in on. People discussing, you know, hit men and things. And you, you almost think it comes from another era, which, of course, it does. But I imagine it still probably goes on today. Uh, Duncan Barks was talking about tattoos. The number of tattoo parlours has doubled over three years, and people now get themselves just covered in tattoos. Unfortunately, people were um, were sending in pictures of their tattoos. I've no idea why you'd want to share that with anybody. I have no tattoos at all. And uh, but um, but Duncan Barks was people sending in photographs of their tattoos. People had them all over the place on parts of their body that I've never even seen. Well, not parts of their body that I've never seen. Parts of my body I've never seen. And people had them tattooed, and they said it was done in a drunken moment. So don't forget, uh, Sunday from 5am for the best bits of me, followed by In Conversation with Jonathan and Charlotte and Gwen Taylor. 
So that's on Sunday morning. If you uh, if you haven't set the alarm for it between five and seven, then you'll have to podcast. Front page of the Daily Express this morning: Jimmy Savile sex scandal. A fourth celebrity's accusers no names. Uh, talking about fighting dementia, they say a litre of mineral water a day will fight the disease. The Sun this morning. Uh, Prince fires on the Taliban. Prince Harry has destroyed Taliban targets. But uh, it's the BBC producer, a top TV director, I beg your pardon, who is claiming that uh, that Jimmy Savile uh, hit on a young girl in his dressing room. And he said, I told bosses. And they said, that's the way it goes. Uh, Melanie Sykes says, I'm sexist in my 40s. Nobody else is telling her that. She's telling everybody that she's sexist. I don't think your 40s is your, uh, is your sexist. And uh, Jimmy Savile's vile sex wagon, his shamed driver, tells all, complete with photographs. Corrie Kath in Intimate Photos Hell, if you want to know the details of that one. It's, um, it's a little-known actress who apparently took intimate pictures of herself, prompting us to ask the question, does everybody take nude pictures of themselves? As we've now heard that Justin Bieber's laptop apparently has been stolen, and that contains intimate pictures of Justin Bieber little Justin Bieber, with his, uh, with his girlfriend. And so they'll probably be appearing on the internet very shortly. This particular Coronation Street, not very well-known actress, decided to take nude pictures of herself and sent them to an ex-boyfriend. She's now worried that they'll be out there in the public domain. I could almost guarantee it, but at least she's had her five minutes of fame. You get two Jamie Oliver meal cards inside the Daily Mail today, and the Queen laid low by a sciatica attack, and the town hall chiefs vowing to kill off David Cameron's plan to allow, to allow large extensions in back gardens. They said it could spark a war. Thank you so much for your company this week. I've done most of it. I'll try next week to actually manage a complete five days. I'll see how I go. Have yourself a lovely weekend. Don't forget to keep the radio tuned to LBC 97.3. So I'm back on Sunday morning from five for all the best bits, followed by the In Conversation, Jonathan and Charlotte and Gwen Taylor. And uh, and we've got some, some great names. We've got Dustin Hoffman coming up as well for an in-conversation, which we'll do after we've seen the film Quartet, which apparently is getting rave reviews. Good weekend. Take an umbrella. Next on LBC 97.3. The Morning News with Susan Bookbinder. LBC 97.3.